So I'm about 21 in the picture, and uh, this this one I have in my uh, garage, right? It's uh, a photo print f uh, mounted on a, like a piece of, I guess they call it foam core. And uh, it's a picture of me, you see it on the show art today, uh, uh, sitting in front of my computer. Now this was in 88 or 89. Uh, and... Uh, there's a lot going on in this picture, and it's wild. You know, I, I never used this as show art before. I'm not sure why. This particular uh, photo print, it's like a couple, it's like maybe two feet by three feet, or maybe two and a half by one and a half feet, whatever. Um, I remember, I don't know if I had multiple copies of it, but I remember there, there was one of these prints in my grandparents' basement. I gave it to my grandparents back when... Uh, this photographer, Jim Lord, took this picture and, and, and created this print. So I don't know if this is, you know, when my grandmother passed away in 2007, I, I don't know if I took it or this was another copy I had. I don't know. You see, as these things go, as the years wear on, as it's 2024 right now, you sort of, you sort of lose, you lose some memories, but you retain others, you know. Um, so I'm not sure if this is the one that was in my grandparents' basement or this is the one I had. But, um, yeah, I... I, I, I took a picture of it with my phone in the sunlight yesterday. It's weird. You really need the sunlight to see all the little details here. But it's an amazing picture, right? Um, yeah, Jim Lord is the photographer. So what happened was when I was in college, I had the, you know, uh, a radio show called Anything But Monday with my, my cohort, Mad Mike. And um, did the radio show. We got kicked off the air. We were too offensive. So then we created a magazine, the first issue of which was just sort of an eight, an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper folded over, and that thus was born Anything But Monday magazine, and um, a few years later, we kept doing it, and we turned it into an actual quote-unquote business, yes, and we d distributed it as a comic book to all the comic book stores all over North America, and did four issues, and you can still find it out there, you look up Anything But Monday comic book, whatever. There's, the issues are still out there. It just didn't sell enough as a business. It didn't make any sense. But uh, towards the end, right, so the first three issues came out in 88, and then the last one came out in 89. We uh, brought on a business partner, this guy Jim Lord. He was a photographer and had a studio in Fairlawn. Now, the anything but Monday offices were in Caldwell, so not super far away, probably like a half-hour drive between the two places if I had to guess. And uh, so I would, uh, <coughs> I, I kind of set up at his office for some reason. I think, I don't know if it's because we got rid of our office or me and Mike were having, I think at one point me and Mike were having huge arguments and he was sort of ki kicked out of the company and it was just me and Jim Lord left. And I don't remember exactly all the drama that was going on, but this picture is at his, his offices in Fairlawn. And I actually would, would sleep there sometimes because I worked so much on the magazine. I had a sleeping bag. And that little uh, TV set, <clears throat> I've talked about this in the past, it was a little TV set and a radio and an alarm clock and a telephone. <laughs> you can see it on, a, uh, I think, the episode called Neobium Boutique. There's a picture of that, and I found the model number and everything. So I had set up there, I, you know, it's a whole thing. So this picture is from the, a moment from there, from that time period. And then, you know, at some point in 89, we released the last issue, and... 
Uh, yeah, it just didn't work out. The whole thing went kaput, and I don't think I have ever seen or talked to Jim Lord since then. Though, I do see he has a website, jimlord.com, and he's a musician. I knew he was a mu- musician back then. He had, he had an album out, an LP, from when he was a little bit younger, like in the 80s or something. But yeah, he's still doing it. He's still doing the music thing, so... I don't know. I think the experience we had with him, it, like it kind of, I don't think he ever wants to talk to me or Mike again. And I don't know. <laughs> it'd be weird. He's one of those people from my past that I kind of feel like uh, it'd be weird seeing him again. You know, there's certain people from the past that are like, uh, I don't know, sort of like, uh, you know, I had a girlfriend in the 90s named Carrie and her fa- friends and family, people I know really well, haven't seen them since I broke up with her. Really sadly, she she passed away a few years after I broke up with her. <clears throat> but they're just another type. Of, there's certain people that I just—they're real. They're real people. They're out there. But like I, it would be really freaky to encounter them again. Jim Lord, man. But anyway, yeah. So he took this picture. So anyway, so what is his picture? So this is me sitting in front of a Mac- Macintosh computer. This was the Mac Plus, right? So this was. Uh, I think I had just gotten this in 87 or 88. Mac Plus was um, like a, like one or two iterations after the very original Macintosh computer. So it had that same form factor. came with one megabyte of RAM, which I later updated to four megabytes of RAM. And you can see me there sitting with the, in the light of the screen. And that, of course, was a monochrome screen. Uh, every pixel was either black or white. Macintosh was so different back then. It really was amazing. I remember the first time I played around with a Mac was at, um, I think it was at uh, Livingston Mall. There was like a Macy's there or something, and they had a little room in, near the entrance where they, it was all Apple Macintosh themed. They were trying to sell computers at, at like the, the department store. I was blown away by it. And then uh, my friend Eric down the street had one early on, and I remember playing around with it. Really an amazing computer, of course. We know, know, in retrospect, that um, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, they, they, they went to visit uh, Xerox, the, the park, the, I think the Xerox Park Palo Alto Research Center. And they had created this thing called the, the Xerox Star computing system, which uh, pretty much they completely copied to make the Macintosh. Or the Lisa was the first one, yeah. And they were taken to court. There were huge lawsuits. Xerox sued them. And somehow they all settled. You think of Steve Jobs as a big genius. He's a genius because he knew he he knew uh, he knew a good thing when he saw it and just just stole the idea. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of branches out here. Um, yeah. So you also see uh, there a uh, <coughs> a bunch of floppy disks. Yes, I used this computer had floppy disks, and when I first got it, it had one single you know a three and a half inch floppy drive. And I didn't realize that, uh, you know, you really, you could boot it up off of a system disk and run it without a hard drive, but um, I found out you really needed a hard drive. The computer I had before that was an Epson uh, QX16, which had dual um, five five and a quarter inch floppy drive. So you system disk in one, data disk in the other. So I wound up buying a $500, 20 megabyte hard drive, believe it or not. This big, big brick. I think I may still have it. I don't know if I threw it away. <laughs> the 20 megabyte hard drive. And then you had the floppy disk. So you could, you know, you could boot up off the hard drive. Then then your floppies, you could put it, take in and out and everything else. Um, so there you see the little 
the little box with a plastic lid where you could file your floppy disks. <laughs> it's amazing. Then there's a few notebooks there. I wonder, you can't really see what's in the notebooks, but I probably still have those notebooks. I do have a bunch of the old notebooks. Uh, and there's me sitting there, 21 years old. I, I have, uh, I think that's when I had sort of a mullet-like hairdo. I don't, I'm not sure. You can sort of see it in the picture there. I have long hair. It's kind of short in the front, which is kind of a mullet. I'm not sure. Um, what the heck is this damage? Is it, was that damage? Did I just cause that damage? I don't, what the hell? Is that in the photo? I, I don't think so. Hmm. Yikes. Anyway, uh, yeah, so there I am with my... Uh, my hand on my chin, looking very intense. I think he probably, uh, Jim Lord probably saw me in the dark on my computer, and I'm assuming thought it would would be a good shot, which it actually was. You can see the film grain in the in the photo and stuff. Um, I'm wearing a digital watch, which uh, I got a few years before that. It was a Pulsar, and I believe I still have that watch. Not the band, just the watch itself, but it had all these functions. Listen, you have to remember, this is this was 88 or 89, probably 89, early 89 if I had to guess. Um, <laughs> there were no, portable electronics were very few and far between. So this watch had um, a random number generator. It had uh, data, so you could like sort of type in a number and just leave it there. Had all these different functions, and I was so obsessed with that watch. I love that digital watch. And then there's a t-shirt I'm wearing, and you can sort of see it says Pepsi presents and then there's some script fonts and I actually found I found the actual t-shirt that that it is it says Pepsi presents Lionel Richie super student winner so I barely if I I don't know if I really remember that at all that t-shirt but I think I think I had I, I don't think I was not one of these super student winners of whatever contest it was to go see Lionel Richie yeah, but someone, I think, in Norway is, is selling, like, an extra small version of that shirt. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get it again, but I think I, I must have obtained it somewhere. Maybe they're giving them away for free somewhere. And I probably just thought it was sort of an ironic T-shirt to wear. I wasn't a particular Lionel Richie fan or whatever. I was not a super student, but anyway. So, yeah, that's the picture. And uh, then the reason I thought of this was uh, because I, was, I did this interview uh, over the weekend on the show called The Pep Talk with John Carl Peppy. And uh, let me put this back. I don't know where that damage came from. Is this the only copy of this photo I have? I don't know. I have so much stuff in here. i got to really go through everything. I've been saying that for years. Decades even. i got to go through all this stuff. Anyway. Yeah, I, was, uh, I went on this show. It's been a long time since I've gone on someone else's podcast like that. Kind of reminded me of the olden days. I used to do it quite a bit. I used to be a guest on other people's podcasts, but that's not something that I'm particularly interested in anymore to go on other people's shows necessarily. But <clears throat> um, in the course of of that show, it, it brought to mind that situation. So this is uh, John Carl Pepe. Someone that uh, I, I met through the Andy Kaufman situation. He actually said that he found out about me from the Weird New Jersey article about the Andy Kaufman press conference. And uh, that was uh, in uh, 2008. This stuff all happened around. Um, so he, he told me before, you know, he said, I, I want to talk to you about the Overnight Escape Underground, you know, on Sug Radio. And then I want to talk about the Andy Kaufman stuff. And uh, 
So that's what we did. I think it was a good show, and he actually gave me permission to post it on the archive here in Onsug Radio, so you can hear it easily in the archive. It's called The Pep Talk with John Carl Pepe, guest-starring Frank Edward Nora, me. Let's sit over here. I have a little cigar, cigarillo on the porch, perhaps, yeah. So a quick recap of the Andy Kaufman thing. Back in uh, 2008, I started doing this new show called The Rampler, walking around New York City. And I uh, was a heavy Twitter user back then. And this guy uh, found me on Twitter, and uh, he claimed to be Andy Kaufman, the comedian. Now, if you don't know who Andy Kaufman is, he was a a very weird, very popular a comedian who had a very unique style and was constantly pushing boundaries, breaking the fourth wall, and all sorts of stuff like that. And then he died in 1984, but almost immediately everyone thought that he had faked his death and was still alive somewhere because he was actually researching how to fake your own death before he died of lung cancer. Though he didn't smoke, didn't drink, and he led a very healthy life, which is not impossible. It could it could happen. Anyway... I wound up doing an interview with this guy, him using a voice changer. Then a few months later, I, I, later in uh, 2008, I, I hosted this press conference. He's like, listen, I'm going to come to New Jersey. He, he rented a hotel suite in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and invited all these people and had this press conference with people wear, wearing costumes and puppet shows and all sorts of stuff. It was wild. Chris Gethard was there who wrote the article for Weird New Jersey, and then went on to become like sort of a TV star in some way. Uh, yeah, it was weird. And uh, Manny the Mailman was also there, and uh, this guy Bryce from WFMU, and that whole thing where that's how I got on WFMU in 2009. It was this whole very weird se- se- sequence of events. Um, the press conference didn't really reveal much. It just sort of deepened the mystery, if anything. And uh, over the next couple of years, I sort of, we sort of had continued interaction with this person who we became came to know is a a guy named uh, and I didn't meet him in person, but he was had a mos- monster mask on at the time. As far as we know, he's a person named Stephen Maddox from Indianapolis who moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and um, it seems that he has been spending a, a huge amounts of time and energy and effort and money to perpetuate the myth that Andy Kaufman faked his death and may actually still be alive. And uh, he was always, at times, promising there would be more information, but very similar to, you know, Lucy Van Pelt and Charlie Brown trying to kick the football and she pulls it away at the last minute, right? He would, they would always sort of end in sort of <laughs> just no information, more mystery, more whatever. So to the, a point that we uh, started playing the video for, remember Shari Lewis who had those puppets like Lamb Chop and Don Quixote and stuff? This is the song that never ends. Right. Just goes on and on, never ending. Uh, there, there, there's a lot of stuff that happened there. Um, well, we finally sort of found out that maybe... Steve Maddox's father knew Andy Kaufman and had promised Andy on his deathbed that he would help to perpetuate this myth and that uh, perhaps Steve inherited this responsibility from his father. This is something that was talked about and possible, but we don't we don't know. We just really don't know. 
in one of Andy Kaufman's TV specials, he, he quotes, I believe, a Greek philosopher saying, that which is unknown is magnified. So playing around with uh, the things that people don't know. <laughs> kind of like, I think I played that on last, was it the last, uh, recently on the other side, the audio clips from uh, Doxa Sinestra's um, The Other Stranger. That's what you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Give it a bit longer. Yeah. I, I, I could, I'm listening to that song. Hello. I've been listening to that song like multiple times a day now. Hello, my name is Williams. <laughs> you wanted to talk? Let's talk. I love that song. It was Boards of Canada played it on their um, Humanity X tape or whatever it was called. Humana X something. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. Anyway, um, so also I was interviewed for this movie. This filmmaker named John Lundberg made. He's also someone who's made a movie about UFOs and it's, and supposedly work, has worked with the Banksy, the secret artist Banksy. Also has has made crop circles and was involved in all sorts of weird crop circle stuff. And potentially people say he works for British intelligence MI6. And and the movie's never come out. So just another little wrinkle in this whole thing. And then it then it finally died down. The whole thing died down. And I for years now I haven't heard anything about this Andy Kaufman stuff. Okay. I always have maintained that I find the story, especially right from the beginning, I would say that I'm not a, the biggest Andy Kaufman fan. I, I liked him. I thought he was interesting. And I would say that hoaxing and faking things is not for me. It's not something I enjoy whatsoever. It's not – it's – as you may know, me – from what I do here, I've been there's thousands of hours of me talking on these shows over the over the course of decades, and um, I like being straight straightforward and talking about issues. And then the weirdness comes from sort of trying to analyze things that we don't know, coming up with weird theories and different ideas and interpretations of the world around us. But as far as hoaxing stuff, I I don't get off on that at all. I do not, and I don't. I it's it's something that I just personally I'm not against it. It's an art form. It's a style of presentation. It's a type of entertainment. Whatever you want to say, it's legitimate. It's fine. It's just not for me. I don't do it. I don't enjoy that kind of thing. I know you can get all you know people. You know, you can get people's attention, and you can get people to pay attention to you. But ooh, there's something mysterious here, and I, no one knows what it is. And so that's why I, I know that because of my involvement in all this, people think that I'm actually involved in the whole thing, and that and, and, and that I know more than I'm saying. And honestly, I do not. And if you look again, if you look at my entire my entire uh, oeuvre, if you if you will, that's just not that's not my style. I've always been interested from the beginning. Not that ooh, maybe Andy Kaufman's really alive, even though I obviously on the on the on the chance that he really was alive, it would be interesting to be part of that story moving on because he's such a big celebrity. But um, I always just thought it was interesting that there's this guy in in, in Indiana pretending to be Andy Kaufman. Like, who is this guy? It's like it's just interesting. Who is this guy that's spending his life trying to convince people Andy Kaufman's still alive? To me, that was the story. And that's always been the story for me. And it's still inter- it's still an interesting story. Anyway, to bring it around to where we started, um, this guy John 
uh, who hosts the show, he said he works at a comic shop. And at some point, I'm like, oh, I should come visit you at the comic shop sometime. He's like, oh, yeah, I work at uh, Joker's Child in Fairlawn. I'm like, wait, what? Because Joker's Child in Fairlawn is literally like the next block over from the building, Jim Lord's office, right? Is literally like a block away from there, not even. Where I, where I would go in and stay there and where that picture was taken it was like literally a block away from where this guy works. It was so weird. So I was trying to find that picture. I could have sworn I used it. I, I don't have any digital. I didn't have any digital copies. I just had that print in the garage. It's such a great picture. I'm glad I finally did something with it. But it, it brought it to mind because and I even told I told him, yeah, I used to I used to had this whole thing where I would like stay at this office and I would sleep there. And it was this whole thing. It was almost like living at this this guy's office for a while. In the late 1980s. So that's what brought it up. Anyway, um, now I, I, I saw on uh, the former Twitter, which is now known as X, uh, on, on X, I, um, I saw that someone, I forget exactly the name, but someone using one of the Stephen Maddox names uh, followed me and this guy, Kirk Clendenin. Who was part of the scene back then? It said, said something like, uh, "Thank you for all you've done and all you will do." And me and me and him are the only two people he's following. So I figured I would drop him a line on on X. I, I said, "Hey," to him and Kurt. I said, "Hey, I was on this show, uh, the Pep Talk with John Carl Pepe, and talked about you. You know, I talked about the whole situation. So if you guys want to listen to it, so then it seems that like uh, someone again, it may or may not be Stephen Maddox because everyone is is so." This whole situation is sort of um, based on the secrecy and sort of getting off on the secrecy and stuff. Which again, I'm not com- I'm not criticizing it. It's a legitimate form of entertainment or art or whatever you want to say. It's just not something I particularly care for. Um, in fact, through this situation, I actually met Alan Abel, who's this hoaxer, who is the guy the real Andy Kaufman went to to advise him about faking his death because Alan Abel had faked his own death years prior. So I actually interviewed Alan Abel. You can listen to it in the archive. But there was no chemistry there. It's a topic I'm really not that interested in. It's hoaxing, you know. Hopefully it was somewhat interesting, but it's just, again, I didn't really have a great affinity for the whole thing. I, I kind of, you know, I'm not into cr- uh, the hoaxing and uh, hoaxing and faking things, whatever you want to say. Some people are really into it. And I know it's sort of a form of art to show people you know, that's what you don't know. You know, you're so you're sort of so sure that you know things, but you really don't know. Jeez, welcome to the human condition. There's a lot we don't know, okay? And we sort of convince ourselves that we do know just to make just to make living day by day comfortable. You have to form these delusions that you really know when you really don't know. What do you want? And then the hoaxers are like, no, that's what you don't know. I have to play the, let me play those clips. Hold on a second. Let me see if I can find that. I'll just play the song, whatever. Whatever. It's, is it copyrighted? I don't know. It's a very obscure, like it's from 1985 in Italy and it came out on a cassette. It was this whole thing. Let me just, let me find it. I'm just so obsessed with this song. People thought it was Boards of Canada using the song because people have been waiting, I think, 11 years now for their new album. And one of the quotes in the song is, give it a bit longer. But yeah, this is the song I've been obsessed with. Sinister, sinister, what? 
this Doxa Sinistra, right? Dox, Doxa. What the hell? Come on. I just played it. I play it multiple times a day. Why can't I find it? Hold on one second. This is annoying. The Other Stranger. It, it actually came to mind because right, the episode uh, a few episodes ago was The Other Scat Cat, right? Oh, my God. Why can't I... Why can't I find this? All right, this is. Hold on, I'm going to pause now. This is ridiculous. Well, I was in the wrong app. That was the. Uh, that was the. That was the problem. But here, here's the. Here's the correct one. If I can find it here, let's go. No. Yes. This is such a great song. Doxa Sinister, the other stranger. It's loading. Loading. It does sound like Boards of Canada, you know. Hello, my name is Williams. Excuse me, but my name is Williams. Sorry. So anyway, that's how it sounds. But then there's the uh, the sources, right? That's what I played on the other side. The sources. Someone found uh, every single video clip because it was. I guess they were just recording stuff off TV and playing these clips. Uh, sample sources. Excuse me, but my name is Williams. So yeah, it's from um, uh, the new Mike Hammer season one episode three, Hot Ice. The Gentle Touch, Season 5, Episode 10, Fox and Hounds, and The A-Team, Season 3, Episode 6, Double Heat. Excuse me, but my name is Williams. <laughs> okay, you said you wanted to talk. Let's talk. You have the girl. I want her. As you can imagine, we're concerned for her safety. We want her returned. Uh, we gotta get her back. When she's safe, you will be safe. That's not difficult, is it? Just keep your mouth shut. We are in deep trouble. <laughs> maybe these guys are bluffing. But maybe. maybe they're not. That's what you don't know. <laughs> don't you think we ought to call the station? What for? Just to let them know. Know what? We'll give it a bit longer. <laughs> Just follow instructions. Do what you're told. I got 300 hot screaming kids waiting to see Leo, Leo the, the Lizard. lizard. You ran off with some whore. It happens all the time. <clears throat> Sounded like a crocodile. Like an imitation crocodile. Doctor said you should stay in bed. The final clue came when I saw her in the red satin skirt. She walked towards me. Her hips waved a happy hello. And then I noticed the run in her black silk stockings, and I knew I was on the right track. Well, we work with lasers. Say, why don't you quit the violin music? No, they didn't. I know. You would never do something so wicked. And God is my witness. As God is my witness. As God is my witness. <laughs> anyway. So I don't know if this Andy Kaufman thing is coming back now, but I mean, like, don't expect. I wouldn't expect any answers because it's just more mystery, I guess. 
like the idea was, as Steve Maddox said, every time someone like me or John Carl Pepe or anyone leaves a, a media impression on the internet, it's going to stay there, you know. And of course, you know, my whole thing is to try to preserve this stuff on into the far future. So more and more people will find out the legend that Andy Kaufman faked his death. Let me go on Facebook and see if uh, anything's going on with this new Andy Kaufman guy. I don't know. I don't know where he is. The new name is Elucinator Elusiverse. Yeah. And what did he put? He put a picture of... I thought he had a picture of, like, uh, the old uh, Ansug book. Yeah. To kind of, I don't know, show that he's legit. I don't know. Nice. Listen. It's, uh... It's one aspect of our of our world here. At, at the height of it, um, people were getting really annoyed at all of the Andy Kaufman content on the show. Oh, look here—he's saying all this information about him and his father and his mother and his sisters, and all these secrets. I knew so many people from that whole world, right? We had we had all those like group shows about the Andy Kaufman mysteries with uh, Kurt and uh, Andrea from Croatia, and remember Yannick Joker? He was a cool guy from the Netherlands. All these people, man. There's so many people. Uh, Susan from Texas, and then uh, yeah, that guy uh, Brandon from Canada. Remember when I went up to uh, uh, Toronto? I stopped by. He was working at a mall in. Um, What's the name of that town? I'll think of it in a minute. Anyway, we stopped by at his mall in Canada, and they still had Suncoast video there, which I was very impressed with. But anyway, um, yeah. So I met a lot of people. That's that's one thing that John was saying uh, over the weekend. All of the the people that everyone met, and this sort of subculture that was created around this guy's, you know, Andy Kaufman stuff. Um. He was sort of saying, John was sort of saying that he thought it was an intention of Steve Maddox to create a community. I, my view of it is the, the community that was created was sort of a byproduct of the goal to sort of, it was sort of necessary to get a group of people together to per, help perpetuate this myth, right? And again, I don't know. Did Andy Kaufman fake his death? Um, it's one of those things where we can't know but we can sort of assign a value to it. And I, I would say my personal view of, of this right now is kind of like 93% sure that he is dead. He died in 1984, and um, the, all the rest of it is just all perpetuated by uh, his friends and family. That, that was his wishes. Of course, he could have done it, but, but I don't know. 2024 so far seems like you know, things have been kind of frozen in ice for a couple of years. The pandemic obviously slowed everything down. And I don't know, it feels like everything is sort of thawing out here in 2024 at all levels. So, uh, it seems like the metaverse is back now. It's so weird. I, right after I talked about the metaverse the other day, now I'm seeing, oh, you know, Facebook, the meta company is like back and the metaverse is working now. And the new Apple um, Vision Pro uh, AR goggles are out and all the craziness with the election. Everything is like things are going to kind of on the move here in 2024. It's pretty wild stuff. But, uh, yeah, here's the uh, listing on Etsy. 
That's absolutely the exact same T-shirt I'm wearing in that picture. Again, it says Pepsi presents Lionel Richie, and it's that the greatest of all Pepsi logos from that time. Um, Lionel Richie is in a. It's like a hand-drawn script font. It's a gray T-shirt, and uh, the Lionel Richie writing is on a pink, uh, sorry, a purple triangle, and then in red it says "Super Student Winner" with a star. Someone's selling this for one thousand and sixty point two seven Norwegian kroner. So I have to see how much that's worth. Let's just, let's go to the. One ten sixty. So what is what is that? There's a website called xe.com where you can uh, convert. Xe. What did I say it was? <laughs> Wait. Yeah, because because it, it's interesting because the Nor- Norway is not in the uh, European Union, but they're in the they're in the they're in the eco- economic zone, but not the union. So they still have their own currency, kind of like Britain. Well, Britain left it, of course. Ten sixty. Let's see. Uh. How do we, can I find Kroner here? Knock. It's N O K. Norwegian Kroner. Knock. Ten sixty into the old U.S. dollar. Let's see. So there. That's a hundred bucks. A hundred dollars. So yeah, I'm not going to get that for a hundred dollars. But it's interesting to see that that, that is out there. Someone can a hundred dollars. Please, police. Hey, it's later on now. It's nighttime. I'm back on the porch. The cigarillo. So yeah, last episode, that was so fun. The Three Weasels adventure. With that orb. Yeah, and on the way back, as you heard, like Peter and I, you know, from Peter's house, which is in Basking Ridge, New Jersey, right, to go down to Brian's house, there's this, it's a, it's such an aggravating way to drive down 202, 206, through like Flemington, and then through Pennsylvania. So the idea is that it's less miles, but if you just, as we, as I described it, as you, if, if we just took 78 to 287, New Jersey Turnpike to Pennsylvania Turnpike, there's it's so easy, you can't get lost. But almost every time, we went down there. On the way home, we just get incredibly lost. It makes no sense. So I told Peter, you know, um, I said, listen, let's not, don't worry about what the navigation says, whatever. Let's just take the turnpikes. The two turnpikes, it's so easy. So the west, on the way down, we did it. It was perfect. There was no problem. Zero issues, zero problems. You know, we, we went into town to pick up the, the town, Norristown, to pick up Jefferson. It was all fine. But then on the way back, somehow, just going from Bryan's to Jefferson's on these weird back roads, I couldn't even believe how weird the back roads were. And then we drop off Jefferson, and, sh- and as I recall, it should be like a five-minute drive to get back to the turnpike. And I think we just got off. I think the navigation thought we were going to go back to, like, the Flemington Way or something. So we got in the middle of nowhere, as you heard. And it's like... I know it's kind of funny that we always get, but it just it just got to the point where I, I couldn't believe it happened again. So I was so happy as you heard to get to get back on that turnpike. Oh my god, there's something about that area. <coughs> we always get lost. I remember that one time, the worst time. I think we were recording. We were again. 
I don't know how we got on these back roads. And there was this roadblock. I guess there had been an accident or something. And the navigation couldn't help us. It kept taking us back to the same place where there was a roadblock. And I couldn't get the navigation to kind of like take the roadblock into consideration. Eventually, I, I was, by fiddling with the phone and looking at the maps, I, I just had to do it manually. And I think we, yeah, we eventually we got out of there. But you know, it was wild. I really like how the show art came out, with the, uh, all of us looking at that that orb, <laughs> the wicker orb. That was cool, man. Yeah, the whole three weasels thing. I mean, I think it it's in a few in like twenty. I think I mentioned it on the show in twenty twenty six. We're gonna have our fortieth anniversary of the three weasels. Isn't that insane? Yeah, I'm telling you. So I know I mentioned it last time, but um, I've been sort of fascinated with this new cruise ship called Icon of the Seas from Royal Caribbean. Now, I have really I have zero desire to go on a cruise because I feel like if I have the time and the money to go on a cruise, there's so many other places I would want to go. I would never want to go on a cruise. I did we did go on a like a short cruise a couple years ago, um, as you may remember. What the hell is this mysterious white van? Um, the cruise to nowhere. It was an episode just called Cruising. It was Anthem of the Sea, so it was it was also Royal Caribbean. And these ships are just amazing. They're like they're like self-contained cities at sea. And I thought it was mildly interesting, but you know, again, I have no desire. But I'm so fascinated by watching videos. Kind of in the same way, I'm fascinated watching videos of people walking around like Tokyo or Seoul, Korea, or whatever. Um. Okay, they're delivering something over there. Um. At first, I, I watched someone, like a travel blogger's video, but it was, he was like pretty annoying. Then I found another video, which is an hour and a half long, so like a feature film length from, it seems like it was from the unofficial Royal Caribbean, um, like the Royal Caribbean blog, which I'm assuming is their official corporate blog. I can't be sure, but it was an hour and a half that just took, that it just detailed every single thing on the ship. It was, um, like every concourse, promenade, amusement area, theater, restaurant, like every detailed every single restaurant. It was it was so hypnotic. It was so amazing. I absolutely loved it. Something about that. I could just watch it. I I could I could watch it again. It's, I was so fascinated by it. It's just cool. It's you know, it's sort of my I, as I mentioned last time, sort of my love of theme parks and shopping malls and that sort of in especially the indoor architecture interior commercial interior design is something that just I find endlessly fascinating so yeah I was watching that but yeah again I have no desire to go on the cruise ship and it just I, it really made me feel because all the different restaurants and buffets and everything are, it made me feel like I, I probably couldn't even go because I, I would be so restricted being vegan I think the, I think when we went on the other cruise we were it was such a long time ago we were still vegetarian so it was not quite as difficult yeah because I remember eating like regular pizza there I guess a cruise like that's not really I know they have vegan cruises but like a, a big general I don't know what you would call it it's sort of a crowd pleasing cruise ship it's for sort of the American aesthetic the current American aesthetic you know but really fascinating stuff um like a, they have a new concept, the dueling piano bar. It's two people playing pianos, and they have a like a full Broadway theater with a with a brand new production of The Wizard of Oz, and 
very elaborate stuff. But then, of course, there's the dark side of cruises that I found out when I went on the cruises, which is that uh, because they're sort of what's, what what is the uh, yeah they don't have to follow any labor laws of any particular country, so they can treat their employees kind of like crap. I don't know if it was Royal Caribbean or another one where they're like their health insurance was so bad. This guy got cancer that worked for them. Again, don't quote me on this, but I remember this story. And they dropped him off in like the Dominican Republic to go to a hospital, and it was like the worst healthcare system. Or really shocking, like what they do, like behind the scenes. It's kind of, kind of, kind of crummy. But that was such a cool video. And I can understand. I can understand people wanting that kind of structured vacation where you don't have to really worry about anything. Because, as you know, as you came along the, the trip with us to Italy last year I agonized I mean I planned that trip out for months and agonized over it and stressed over it and it and as it turned out it was fantastic but it was a hell of a lot of work to plan everything yeah so I guess I could understand it but it was so much of a better trip than I would imagine a cruise would be right but I get it I get the whole cruise thing but <coughs> Anyway, in other news, I finally saw the movie Bo is Afraid from last year, starring Joaquin Phoenix. I'd heard about it. I really didn't know much about it. I'd seen, like, a trailer for it. It's one of these art house films. And it's funny because, I, as you know, I just saw uh, Poor Things recently, and I thought that was fantastic. But it was the kind of movie that, as I commented at the time, such a high degree of difficulty to pull it off, and they actually pulled it off. It actually worked. Um, Bo is Afraid, I think, also had a very high degree of difficulty. And before I go any further, I just want to say this is probably a movie that you want to see without having any preconceived notions. So I think you might, if, you, if you're planning on seeing Bo is Afraid, which is on streaming now. I forget what channel, what streaming channel it's on, but it's on streaming. It's like three hours long, too. Uh, as all the best movies are. But anyway... Uh, uh, you might want to skip this because I'm going to get into all the spoilers. And I, and I really think it's better to see it. I, I did not. I, I, I did. I do not have it. I do not hold it in as high regard as poor things. In fact, I have a fairly negative view of Bo's Afraid. But anyway, I think I've read a lot of reviews and it goes either way. I think you're better off not knowing anything about it. That's the kind of movie it is. It's like a trip. It's a, it, it's yeah. Anyway. Here's your chance to back out if you don't want to hear about Bo is Afraid. I, and I remembered what I read about it like a year or two ago. They were like, uh, it had this alternate title, Disappointment Boulevard. But apparently that was never the actual title. It was always going to be called Bo is Afraid. Anyway, I will say, so here's the review. Uh, <coughs> another freaky, wild, weird movie. An art house film, weird stuff that's right up my alley, but I feel that um, it didn't work. I don't feel that the movie worked. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is fantastic in it as this middle aged, like, loser guy, Bo. And um, it starts off so strong. It's so good. They create this dystopian world. It's kind of like, it really reminds me of a very obscure movie called The Dark Backwards starring um, Bill Paxton and who's the other guy that was in it? 
uh, Judd, Judd Nelson, I think. Yeah, from Breakfast Club. I think it was him, yeah. That was like this super depressing world. It wasn't like a science fiction world, just like our world, but just everything turned to crap, you know. Um, another movie that had kind of a similar... No, it was a TV show that had kind of a similar dystopian vibe. What the hell was it called? A Maniac. Remember that show, Maniac, with... Um, what's the guy's name? Josh or Judd or something. And it was an adaptation of, I think, like a Swedish TV show, but... Yeah, where this guy has all these weird fantasies, but like the main world they were in was sort of a near-future dystopia. Those, I think, are really compelling. So in this case, it just sort of... Like, Bo was just living in this really bad neighborhood, but it was like like people like being murdered in the street and screaming and car crashes all the time. It it was so promising. It was so good. It really reminded me of a lot of other things I've seen like that, and uh, it was just sort of... I could almost sort of tell, like, whoever wrote this, like, they were really inspired at the beginning, and then the writing just kind of fizzled out. So the plot, as it is, is is that uh, Bo is planning to go see his mother, so he's going to take a flight and go visit his mother, but he winds up, like, someone steals his keys and his his suitcase, and he can't go, and uh, he winds up getting hit by a car, and then this weird couple, was it like Nathan Lane, I guess who it was, was kind of, that guy, his, his his presence in a movie is just too, he's too, is it Nathan Lane? Is that the guy? It's just too much, you know? Yeah, I just wanted, yeah, it was Nathan Lane. So I'm, it's just, that guy in a movie, it's just like, oh, there's Nathan Lane. It just takes you out of the movie completely. Some actors are like that. I really feel Tom Hanks to me, if I, I cannot watch any movie with Tom Hanks in it anymore. It's just like so freaking annoying. Oh, there's Tom Hanks. It just takes you out of the movie. Maybe it, those people are just not good actors, you know. But I would say Joaquin Phoenix was absolutely fantastic in the role. I had no complaints about his performance. It was fantastic. It just the material he was working with. So, <coughs> so then he goes, he's, he's like sort of in these people's house. And at every turn, it's sort of like you don't know what's real or what he's imagining or what's a fantasy, which this is the problem with the whole movie, right? There's – I dig that kind of stuff where you don't know what's real, what's not real. It brings to mind Brazil, which I really need to rewatch Brazil because I feel like – I don't think Brazil – when I saw Brazil when it came out in like 80 – whatever, 86, 87, whenever it came out. I saw it in a movie theater in New York City. That's, you know, with uh, Jonathan Price by uh, Terry Gilliam as a director. I was blown away by that movie. but And that's another one where it sort of combines, like, weird fantasy scenes, like what, what he's imagining and what's real. I have to revisit that one because I don't know. I don't know, if it, I don't know if any of Terry Gilliam's stuff is going to stand up. I don't know. But anyway, I think we – were we talking about it on the Excellent Ramp, Terry Gilliam stuff? I think we were. But anyway – um, then he goes in the woods and there's this weird theater troupe in the woods and it gets it gets kind – that's where the movie – and I, I read a ton of reviews and most people sort of felt like I did that the movie really didn't work. But some people just loved it. And it's weird because these movies – like I, I, watching poor things, I thought like this movie could easily fall apart at any moment. But in the end, it had uh, a strong – 
you know, cinematic backbone. It had characters you cared about, and it was exploring tons of interesting themes, and there was actually character growth and a story, and, right, things happened. Right. And I don't even think, like, to me, there's a movie that many people haven't seen. It's Beyond the Black Rainbow, I think, which was um, kind of similar. Like, it's super weird. You don't know what the hell's going on, but it just kind of worked for what it was. In this case, I kind of see what they were trying to achieve with Bo is Afraid, but I feel they, did, they didn't really pull it off. So it's like a theater troupe, and then he he becomes like part of the theater show, and then it becomes this whole weird fantasy with animation. This is an annoying woman narrator and that whole part. And uh, then he does go to his mother. Oh, oh and I forgot to say, like, in the next morning after... He uh, yeah, so he he gets locked out of his earlier. He gets locked out of his apartment, and these weird homeless people like trash his apartment. And then he uh, he he calls his mother's phone. It turns out his mother has been killed. The chandelier fell on her head. And apparently, it's Bill Hader as like the UPS guy. That was kind of interesting. You never you, like you see him later in a news report, but you only see him from behind. That's what I was saying. It's it's frustrating because it had potential and it started off so strong. Then he goes to the house, and <coughs> then there's all these flashbacks on a cruise ship, and I don't know. And then it turns out his mother was actually alive the whole time, and Parker Posey is there as some character, and he has sex with her, but then she sort of freezes like a mannequin, and it's like, yeah. And then and then at the very end, it's sort of like this weird trial. And like in the end, nothing is resolved, nothing is made clear. And I know people have argued that there's all these layers of symbolism that he's just like a drug addict and he's imagining all this stuff and none of it is real. And I feel bad because I feel like there was so much there, but it just sort of felt like it, it did not hold together as a movie. It just wasn't it did they did not succeed in it. I mean it was it was okay to watch it. I just uh it was I was just sad. I was really hoping to like it again because it started off so strong. And uh slightly reminded me what was that movie Silver Lake that was more coherent but it was just like weird this guy wandering around this weird hipster neighborhood in Los Angeles and all these weird things that happened to him that was actually a good movie so I'm very open to those kind of movies I love those kind of movies but yeah I wouldn't want to see Bo is Afraid again but again what makes it so sad is that Joaquin Phoenix was absolutely fantastic as the character Bo but yeah, it just didn't work ultimately. But anyway, they can't all be winners now, can they? <laughs> anyway, I've recently on my computer been uh, created a type of entertainment for myself that is uh, absolutely fantastic. And it's and, I, and after this, I think I may go do some more. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, I was... It's another video on YouTube that I, it was the World Jigsaw Puzzle Championships hosted by uh, Karen Puzzles, who's the top puzzle influencer, jigsaw puzzle influencer on YouTube. And just about how she went to the uh, Jigsaw Puzzle Championships in, in Spain. It was like four hours of videos, and it was fantastic. So I, I, I wanted to try to do some of those jigsaw puzzles, so I found this, what I think is just a completely free 
program on Steam called Jigsaw, J-G-S-W. Just called J-G-S-W, right? And you can just, you basically just give it a URL of an image and it'll make a puzzle out of it. So I started off with some of the, the Ravensburger's puzzles, but um, I thought about what would be a good image to do a puzzle of, and I remembered this blog called Collecting Candy, which uh, this this guy, probably around my age, Gen X, um, is, uh, and I think collecting candy wrappers, right, is a true collecting field because these were things that were just thr- always just thrown away. And one of the big things he was collecting was Marathon, right? For a few years in the 70s, there was this candy bar called Marathon. And it was like a caramel in a braided pattern uh, uh, covered with chocolate. And it lives on a similar candy in Britain called Curly Whirly. is similar to to Marathon. But Marathon, with its uh, the logo using the font 8-ball, the, the red and yellow and orange color scheme, and on his blog, he talks about that there, as far as he knows, there may only be like a handful of rappers left in the world. Because obviously, who saved? I had tons of marathon bars. I didn't save the rappers. No one did. So he was able to obtain a few. One got lost in the mail. Then he got another one. It's really interesting stuff. Uh, it's Again, it's like a true collecting field. He also does do cereal boxes, which again, those old cereal boxes... Um, super valuable and rare, especially from the 70s. And I sort of thought about getting into that, but I don't want to do any kind of collecting. It's, you know, I collect ideas, not stuff. Anyway, um, so what, unfortunately, it seems like the blog kind of fizzled out in 2018 or 2019. Though he seems to be still active on some webs, I think on Facebook or Twitter or X or something. But I think he abandoned the blog. It kind of reminds me of that blog, Malls of America. It was this amazing blog where this guy just collected images of vintage malls from like the 60s and 70s. Then the guy just vanished and there were all these rumors that like he went to jail or something. <laughs> I think that blog is still up actually, mallsofamerica.blogspot.com or something. But Anyway, so on Collecting Candy... He would create these images, my year in collecting. And I think it went all the way from like 2010 to 2017. And each is a big, beautiful high-res image of all these candy wrappers and uh, cereal boxes and TV dinners. And oh, my God, Chef uh, Franco-American, like uh, uh, SpaghettiO kind of things. Beautiful stuff. Amazing. And and that's... So those images are utterly fantastic to do as jigsaw puzzles. I started off doing like 150 pieces, and then I, I graduated to doing like the 600-piece version. And it takes a couple hours for me to um, to do these puzzles, each one. And while I'm doing them, I'm listening to The Book of the New Sun by Gene Wolfe. Now, I had to do a little research, but I think I just discovered this series about a year ago. I think it was last January, January of 2023, that I just discovered this. And this book of the New Sun, the first book of which is – there's four books that form the book of the New Sun. And then there's like a fifth book that's sort of a sequel to it. But the book of the New Sun is it's like one big book. And uh, the first book is called 
um, Shadow of the Torturer, but now it's collected in uh, like the first two books are in one book, the second two books are in another book. But anyway, I had never heard of this before in my life, and all of a sudden in January 2023, I start seeing multiple lists of the greatest fantasy series of all time. And number three, The Book of the New Sun by Gene Wolfe. And like, I've been into this kind of stuff my whole life. I have never heard of Gene Wolfe. I have never heard of these books. And uh, I got the audiobooks of, of all of it. And I started listening to it. It blew me away. It blew my mind. What an incredible series of books. But then at some point, I think like in March or something, I just, like I just stopped listening for some reason. You know how you're into something and then you just sort of fall off like you're watching a certain show on streaming and then you you like it but you just stopped watching it and you have never seen it again so I've always been meaning to go back to it so I found the files I started listening again and I was in I guess I was in book three uh, sort of the lictor so I, so I was listening to the audiobook while doing these jigsaw puzzles of, the, of these uh, my year in collecting candy wrappers Oh my god, it's the greatest thing ever listening to that and doing the puzzle at the same time. Uh yeah, I mean this is it I mean the books are so good. It's so bizarre and dreamlike. I mean it takes place it it follows the, the course of this guy Severian who's part of this guild of torturers that uh serve kind of the the court system to carry out punishments and executions and things. Torturing, punishments, execution, which is kind of something that I find rather, you know, annoying to kind of dwell on, all this kind of negative, violent stuff. But the books are so good. Uh, and it's Severian. His name is Severian, and, and, it's, and it's his travels around this world, which is a far future Earth, right? So it's like thousands or maybe tens of thousands of years uh, in the future. So it's almost sort of like a some aspects of like a medieval society, but there's also aliens and spaceships. It's amazing stuff. And it's like so dreamlike and so weird and so amazing. So I'm on the I'm on the last book now, the Citadel of the Autark. <coughs> um, so I'm very glad I got back to it. But I really thought of it as sort of a classic pep, a past editing paranoia because I never heard of this thing before in my life. And then it just sort of I started ex- finding references to it in multiple places on my online journeys. So. I know that the most likely explanation is that somehow I just managed to miss it. I never heard about it, whatever. There's, I know, what was I, was I talking about this before, that we kind of convince ourselves that we kind of have a handle on things. But really, most of the stuff in the world we've never heard of. But somehow in day-to-day, we sort of have the sense that, eh, I got a pretty good overview of things. But do I really have a really good overview of things? I don't know. So anyway, I am just loving this, the puzzle, the candy puzzles, and r- listening to the audiobooks. Yeah, and it's weird. Like obviously, it's sort of someone ripped it off cassettes, and there's all these weird, like horrible audio artifacts and dropouts and weird things. It's kind of it almost adds to the experience. But yeah. <coughs> anyway, Ugh, it's cold out here. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm gonna be uh, going to work in New York tomorrow. So uh, we'll pick this up. On the way into the city. I have these kind of uh, mythic memories of wandering around Atlantic City and recording. Seems like such a long time ago. When was the last time I was there? But yeah, we'd go down to Atlantic City with my wife Denise. 
And when she was gambling, I, I would just sort of wander up and down the boardwalk and record. And uh, there was this mall, a shopping mall. I forget what it was called, like the Steel Pier? No, I don't think it was called Steel Pier. It was like... I think that's the amusement park there. But anyway, remember a while back I... Uh, you know, because it's been pretty exciting in, in, in terms of public domain music the past couple of years because... Whereas, as of a few years ago, we thought that uh, the first music in the U.S. would become public domain in, I think it was 2067, which would be my 100th birthday if I, if I make it there. But uh, um, a, ch- a law that was changed under the Trump administration uh, brought public domain music a couple years ago. It was uh, all the songs, nine, was it 1922 and earlier, and then last year, 1923, and this year, 1924 in music. So that pattern's going to continue for a while, and then there's like another gap, and what labyrinthine laws, but there was a record that has, that was the uh, Million Dollar Peer Band or something, and uh, it was, uh, this uh, guy had built this incredible pier in Atlantic City called the Million Dollar Pier, I think. Don't quote me on that. It's it's something like that. And this guy was the band leader of the band of this pier. And then years later, it got turned into a shopping mall. And uh, and I think last time I was there, it was I don't know if it was dying or there. I think there was some issue with it. I don't know. I, I, I remember reading some news about it that it's kind of fallen on hard times like so many shopping malls. Atlantic City is a weird story, too. I mean, there was that HBO show, uh, Boardwalk Empire, about Atlantic City as this thriving beach resort town in the 1920s. No gambling there yet. And uh, I guess as time went on, it sort of degenerated into a real bad area. And then uh, at that point in the 70s, Gambling was pretty much illegal all around the country. I mean, you had the you had lotteries and stuff, but like actual casinos in the United States was just basically confined to Nevada, right? The state of Nevada. And uh, so New Jersey wanted to revitalize the area because it had fallen into such a terrible condition. So they passed a law, I guess, I believe it was the first in the nation to uh, allow for uh, casinos in in Atlantic City as, as a way to revive the economy. And it was, for a time, the only other place in the United States where you could gamble other than legally in a casino other than uh, Nevada. And as Nevada's really far away, so it became sort of very... Uh, the, the gambling mecca of the East Coast. Um... And of course, just just as with any of these laws they pass, uh, they don't achieve their ends. Just like with the plastic bag ban that went into effect a couple years ago. Remember here in New Jersey, you can no longer get plastic bags at the supermarket. So they concluded now, after a couple years, that this has actually tripled the amount of waste plastic that's going into landfills in the system because uh, people are using these reusable bags almost as single-use bags, right? Because you forget your bags 
You have to buy a couple bags at the supermarket, and then you just you never use them again. And each one of those reusable bags has, I would say, something like 5, 10, 15 times the mass of those really thin plastic bags. Don't quote me on that either. But anyway, so yeah, they're saying that the environmental destruction by plastic has vastly increased, tripled, I think they said, under uh, this uh, well-intentioned, perhaps, law. So, with Atlantic City, it seems you go there today, and uh, yeah, the boardwalk and the casinos are kind of nice, but you walk like one block inland, and it is another. It is just like a bad area again. It's like a slum, a ghetto, whatever you want to say, whatever the word is for that kind of area. Uh, and they did nothing to help the people of Atlantic City. Uh, yeah, and of course, then at some point in. The 80s or 90s, the Indian tribes in the U.S., which has always been a strange topic because uh, in the past, a past where all the people that were involved in what happened there are now dead, right? I mean, you talk about the 1800s, right? You want to talk about 1899, right? Which is now 125 years ago. Right. The world of 1899, pretty advanced, you know, compared to previous centuries. That world with, I think there were still maybe a, a billion or two people or a couple billion people in the world. Every single one of those people that was alive, from the little baby to the oldest person in 1899, now in 2024, every single one of them are dead. <clears throat> the entire planet of 1899 is dead now. So... I know that's kind of obvious, but it's just at the same time, whatever was set up back then is, was set up by people that are now long dead. So all of the what happened with the American Indian and creating, reserving land for them and considering it sovereign land and <clears throat> and I know that, like whenever I hear about that, it's sort of, they say it, but they don't ever treat it like that. Like there's a lot of out west of the states, Montana, the Dakotas, you know, the Wyoming. There's a lot of land that's considered sovereign land, like another country, but no one ever really thinks about it that way. I don't think it was ever... I don't think it was ever completely defined or figured out, like, what does that mean? I may be wrong, but... Anyway, the... Uh, <coughs> as I remember it, and I was talking to a guy at work. He remembers it slightly differently, but there was... I remembered there's an Indian tribe. And by the way, using the word Indian is still okay. I've double, triple checked it. Maybe ne- maybe in a few years it won't be okay, but it's still considered a, a, a term that's not offensive. <laughs> I don't think. Very careful to say these things. Uh, in Florida, there was a, an Indian reservation where they wanted to... They had a bingo... And under state law, they were only able to do it like one day a week. But since they're kind of their own country, they're like, oh, we're going to do it, all, uh, you know, more than that. And so the state came down and tried to shut them down. And that went all the way, I think, to the Supreme Court. And it was ruled that, no, uh, they do have the right to do gambling on this land because it's sovereign land. And that flew open the floodgates to... Uh, 
uh, open what they call Indi Indian casinos. What the hell is this? Oh, it's a little picture of Jesus and Mary on the uh, the uh, sidewalk. I thought it was lenticular, but it wasn't. You know that old thing where you think something's 3D lenticular, but it's really not? It, it happens from time to time. In, in the cosmic register of all things, the Akashic Records, there's a whole section of that. The times that someone thought they saw a lenticular image, but it actually wasn't lenticular. And what just happened there is on that list of every time in reality that happened. Anyway, so uh, casinos started springing up everywhere. I believe in Connecticut was one of the first Foxwoods. I went there like in 93 maybe. So like that early 90s was that time period. And these casinos have been popping up ever since. Uh, under the auspices of in, uh, in Indian nations. And of course that put a bit of a damper on uh, Atlantic City being the exclusive. Because it's strangely... I could have sworn in my research that uh, New Jersey has no Indian tribes or Indian land because they all were kicked out and sent out west again by those people that are now all dead. Yeah, there's a lot of assholes in the past. What do you want? We're not in the past. We're in the present. We didn't do it. Unless reincarnation is real, in which case, can you imagine if, if you could be held liable for crimes you committed in your past lives. I thought, that, I thought that was the whole point of reincarnation, that wipe the slate clean, you become a little baby again, and you don't have to worry about all the crimes you did in your previous life. I imagine if it was ever established that reincarnation was 100% real, and you could find out who, the, who people were in their past lives, that uh, people would want to prosecute them. Maybe that's why it has to be kept secret. I, I, yeah, I think that's probably why it has to be kept secret. Yeah. <coughs> um, so yeah, Atlantic City kind of... Well, they, they're still okay. I think a few casinos had to close because just the amount of gamblers has, uh, re has been reduced, but there's still a lot of people that want to gamble. And by the way, gambling is... It's really interesting. Gambling is like this core human desire, core human trait... Uh, no matter what, people will gamble. No, no matter if it's illegal, illegal, anything. And in the context of a casino, an established casino with state regulators and stuff, it's absolutely amazing. You can open a business where, <clears throat> mathematically speaking, over the course of time, people are guaranteed to lose their money. D don't even worry about temporary, oh, someone went in and, you know won a ton of money on their first spin of a slot machine. Doesn't matter. As long as they keep gambling, they're guaranteed mathematically to lose over time. So it's essentially... Each game has its own percentage chance. Like for every dollar you bet on a particular slot machine, over time you'll get back 90 cents, 92 cents, 93 cents. Now, of course, if you were to play one spin, right... The percentages are still there, but you might win a million dollars, or you might just lose a dollar, whatever. But that's the idea, is that because this is a mathematical average, the more you gamble, the more you're guaranteed to lose, because every game in the casino has a house advantage. So it's sort of like, it seems stupid for people to go gamble, right? I mean, because, right, there really is no way to really win 
yes, you could be lucky in the moment. The only way to win is to just gamble very little, I would imagine, and hope to be lucky the very few times you, you bet. For example, take 100 bucks, put it on one number on roulette, and if you win, you've won a lot of money. And then if you walk out, you will have beaten the odds because you only bet once, right? But these odds, and I think it's because, you know, as someone once said, one of those phrases, uh, gambling is a, a tax on people bad at math. Because, I mean, the information's out there. It's like, it's, there's nothing secret about the fact that every game has a disadvantage. I suppose that, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that um, uh, if you were to play poker at a casino, where the house just takes a cut of each pot, if you're very skilled at poker, and it just so happens that everyone you're playing with is less skilled, you could possibly be able to make money. But even the blackjack, if you're just counting cards... Well, yes, if you're counting cards and it's a single deck, you could beat the house, but they're very aware of this and they can uh, ban you from the casino if you're doing that. That's the one, one game. I don't know how often they have a single deck or whatever, but it's very easy to see that someone's counting cards, and that's, you know, that's perhaps the exception. And, uh, but blackjack is funny because, you know, you know, does the dealer hit on a soft 17 or not? You know, things like that. There's variable rules. And then they use multiple decks, which make it harder to count the cards. But, but yeah, they're very aware of that. Of course, cheating, as people have done over the years, it, you know, can actually make you money. But obviously, you're cheating. So, you know. But you can't say the casinos are cheating because they're above board about it. They're like, listen, you're going to come in here. The more you gamble, the more you're guaranteed to lose. Right? every table game you can determine the exact odds right i think like blackjack if you play with basic strategy which they encourage because you know they don't mind i think you can even sit there with a basic strategy card for the particular variant of blackjack you're playing i don't think they would mind because you're going to lose over time anyway your your disadvantage against the house is less but you're right again the more you gamble the more you're guaranteed to lose i think it's so fascinating slot machines are set by the operators at a percentage which is state regulated that's why I wonder when you go to the casinos in, uh, on those cruise ships. Like I was watching, I told you earlier about that video of Icon and the Seas. They have a casino. I don't know if there's any regulatory body, so they could probably set those machines at anything they want. I mean, certainly they're going to set it to satisfy uh, gamblers feeling that it's somewhat worth it. I would, if I was running it, I'd, I'd set them similar to what you'd get in a, in a regulated casino. But still, you're going to lose, you know. But I think that's what people don't understand. Like, it's just set, like, yes, you could spin once and win huge amounts of money, but the average over time, you're losing money. And I think that's a, a mathematical concept that a lot of people just cannot grasp. People are just not intelligent enough to, to grasp the concept. And, of course, people think that they have some personal advantage over the house. They have a, a guardian angel... They know the right prayers, and they, you know, they they pray to the right spirits or whatever. They have a lucky rabbit's foot, you know. They think that they that they have some sort of. They convince themselves they have some sort of advantage over the house, which again, the house does not want to uh, <clears throat> dissuade you from those those views, as it's to their benefit. If you th- the more you gamble, the more you're guaranteed to lose. So they would never discourage someone from thinking that. They also take advantage of people seeing patterns and things that are not actually there. 
For example, uh, at some point they started to put up a screen that would list the past, like, say, 20 winning numbers on a roulette table. And uh, it turns out actual randomness looks less random than we'd imagine. That is, wow, a black, black came up six times in a row. Oh, my God. It must be red next, you know. But actual randomness they, does have patterns in it, right? They've actually did, a, did an experiment where they asked people to uh, arrange numbers randomly. And people did it in a way, I think people's uh, view was to make sure to keep similar numbers or patterns away from each other. Whereas true randomness, uh, those patterns would naturally occur. So when people see that the, the uh, roulette table, and this is all completely above board, the roulette table is completely random, right? So the houses benefit for it to be completely random, but these, the random, uh, the random results will show patterns that people will, will think, oh, there's something wrong with this dealer, or some, there's something wrong with this this table, that it tends towards more even numbers or tends towards more blacks or, 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 or more reds and they're not saying that they're just saying here are the numbers that came up in the past now of course there's no reason to show that if it's completely random but by doing that they encourage people to get ideas so it is actually rather sinister at some level <coughs> um, but it's amazing it's an amazing thing that I understand you could say that the thrill of gambling and the fun of playing is worth money. So you go there and you spend money just to be entertained. Like you go to see a Broadway show, you're spending hundreds of dollars, and you sit down and watch a bunch of people jumping around on the stage. And if you and if you liked it, you got your money's worth. So you spend a couple hundred dollars gambling, and you had that much entertainment. Well, it's worth it, right? It's worth it. But of course. You know, people go too far, and there is actually an addiction, and there's all these messages when they're advertising, because, oh, you know, have a problem, call this number, 1-800-GAMBLER. Don't quote me on that. That's not the number, but you know what I'm saying. Probably more like one eight five five or one eight seven seven. They ran out of 800 numbers a long time ago. Here's my bus. Here we are at the Port Authority bus terminal in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. Having some uh, pretty deep thoughts on the bus. The nature of this reality we find ourselves in, and I, I did, I think, gain one insight, which any insight in this matter is precious, perhaps. But um, the idea is right as we experience the world around us, right. How do, how do we do it? And I, and I, and I think that um, at kind of a, uh, as people understand it, right, we have senses, sight, sound, etc. And we have um, a brain. And so, for example, right now, what I'm seeing walking through the bus terminal here, people, brown tiles, signs, uh, shuttered storefronts, etc., um, that uh, the light is entering my eye and stimulating um, receptors on the back of my eye, sending electrical signals into the brain with patterns that the brain then has patterns stored. What is a person? What is a storefront? What is a sign? What is a brown tile? And matches up those 
patterns to the thing, and then it's like, yes, that is that is a person with a beige backpack walking by, right? So that seems it seems to be a patterns that are then sort of being put into a system that are then retrieving the meaning from the system, right? So the initial way we can look at this is sort of the way we understand it biologically, scientifically, whatever. The pattern is entering the brain and it's almost like a request for a meaning. Here I'm seeing this person walk by. All right, so the pattern of that person is perhaps essentially meaningless. The pattern of pixels or whatever you call is in the, the human eye, right, would inherently not have any meaning, but then when you take that pattern and you send it into the retrieval portion of the brain, it matches it up with a meaning, right? Now, and then you receive the meaning. You receive the meaning. To say that, that's full of mystery. What is you? Where is consciousness? But for the purpose of this discussion, we don't need to worry about that as much. So, there are, of course, other ways of looking at this. Um, for example, that the patterns that uh, you're producing through your senses are not actually, your, the, the meanings are not actually stored in your brain, but they're stored in an external system. And your brain is simply a, an interface to that external system. So, for example, as I commonly mention, Rupert Sheldrake's morph, morphic resonance theories, he actually theorizes that, I believe, that this system would be... Uh, Externalized. That is, there's a common system out there that you feed patterns into and receive meanings back, right? But for the purposes of this discussion, perhaps it doesn't matter, right? We just notice that there's, a, there's patterns and then there's meanings. So the idea is that there's a, um, a shape, a pattern, right? Whether it be visual, auditory, like what, what you're hearing right now, the se sequence of sounds you're hearing, you're chucking those into the system and then it's bringing back meaning as of what I, the meaning of what I'm saying. You see what I'm saying? The meaning of what I'm saying is what you get back after you deliver these sounds to the system, whether it be your brain, an external system, or whatever. So, the insight is, well, first of all, this is not the insight yet, but the idea is that, right, there is a database of meanings. So essentially, everything you could possibly experience, every possible meaning, is in there. So wherever you think this repository of meanings is, is in your brain, it's in the cosmos, it's in some sort of a, a, an interconnection of brains, a morphic field. Listen, don't worry about where it is, right? Because as we, we're experiencing it, this is happening. Patterns are being exchanged for meanings, right? This is happening. You're experiencing it right now, right? So the idea is that, right, there, there exists that you have access to a database, a repository of meanings of everything, right? The mean, like, so it's sort of like everything that could, you could possibly experience exists in this database. And it could be in your brain or it could be outside your brain, whatever. This database of meanings, because you're gaining meanings, depending on what you see, you get the meaning, right? So there exists a uh, that we have some access to uh, everything, everywhere, all at once, you know, sort of to quote that movie title, right? But you see what I'm saying? There exists this database of everything, right? But 
if you were to experience everything all at once, right, it would be overwhelming, perhaps. It would be, uh, it would be meaningless, you know, to experience everything at once. So there's a system by which you only experience a few things, a few meanings at, at any given time that are based on these keys that you're presenting to the system, be it in the form of sensory data or thoughts or whatever, you're delivering a key and then you're getting back a meaning, right? Now, the process is so smooth, you don't even notice the transactional nature of it, but I do think there is a transactional nature, again, no matter what, no matter how you feel about it. And so I hope you see what I'm saying about this, that there's this huge thing that has everything in it, and then we are accessing pieces of it one after another, right? So it's almost like there's a totality of things, and then we're only seeing little slices of it, feeling, experiencing little slices of that vast repository of meaning at any given moment. So the insight I had, just as the bus was pulling into the bus terminal, is relating this idea to um, uh, one kind of religious spiritual concept that is um, this reality is the result of God and of course whenever I use that word I want to say that people throw this bandy this word God about without really defining its meaning obviously it means so many different things to so many different people but right God as the totality of everything so there's a lot of traditions Gnostic or other traditions I think Buddhist at some level I'm not sure uh, they define the creation of this particular reality we're in as one supreme being, God, uh, deciding to divide itself up into subdivisions, right? So, like, there is the totality of everything, which is God. And then um, God has decided to split itself up, right? Almost similar to the, you, you know, the... Uh, the Animations you've seen of the of an embryo, one cell, then it's two, then it's four, then it's eight, then it's sixteen. Right? God subdivided itself into these subdivisions, so it could experience itself from many different angles. So a totality of everything is being sliced up, and you're only experiencing small portions of it at any given time. So the insight I had is that the structure of both of these things, first of all, the perceptual system, which I would say is happening, is established that it's happening, no matter what the me me mechanisms are behind it, it's happening. There's a, there's, a, there's a thing with everything, and then we're only experiencing parts of it in our perceptual system. This is structurally very similar to the theory of this, uh, the monad, some people call it, the God dividing itself up into subdivisions as the creation of reality. So the fact that those two things are similar structurally is the insight I had. And I think that the first matter I was talking about where we're talking about the transactional nature of the system, it implies that there's different parts of the system. That is, there's, um, there's you, and then there's the patterns, and then there's the, the repository is a separate thing. But with the, those theories, as I've always been trying to, and I think everyone who goes down this road is trying to say, is it really separate things or are they all aspects of the same thing in which the God theory, the monad theory shows, yes, it is all aspects of the same thing. Every part of it is part of the same thing. That is the, the idea that there is a, a physicality to things, individual human bodies, pl places, 
all those could simply be additional meanings within the system. You see what I'm saying? It could all just be a system of meaning. Yes. I'm not sure how far, how much further this has gotten us in terms of understanding what's going on. Not much. But I will point out that the, at least the first part is based on the evidence that we are experiencing at the moment of a meaning exchange system. Yes. Anyway, back to Atlantic City. <laughs> uh, in one of my uh, many journeys wandering around that shopping mall, which used to be the Million Dollar Pier, I think, um, there was this art gallery there. And they had this paint, these paintings by... I, I, I'm sure there may be some references to it in the show that I did. But it was a particular painting uh, called Dead Man's Hand. It was a stylized, like, Old West painting of these guys playing poker. And I think it was... Was it Wyatt Earp or Wild Bill Hickok or one of these Wild West personages who... Uh, was playing poker and I guess someone shot him and the, the poker hand he had is called the dead man's hand but I, I at the time I thought that the, this particular painting was uh, exactly what the aesthetic of uh, you know me and Mad Mike on the radio as I was talking about like and then the magazine like it would have like, it would have been, had we still been doing any projects together and we had a space, like, this would have been the perfect painting for the space. It sort of satisfied our aesthetic. And so I became kind of obsessed with the painting. And I didn't think to purchase it. I think it was very, very expensive and something I wouldn't buy. I think, it, I mean, they were prints, I think. It was like, you know, they have those prints, but they're high-end prints. It wasn't the original painting. Kind of like those uh, Thomas Kincaid, the painter of lights, where they take the original painting and they sort of, I think they mold the brush strokes using some sort of like uh, silicon rubber. And then they sort of form a, a mold and then they can sort of create a canvas uh, that would have, and then you would essentially print onto that canvas that has the, the surface texture that you've molded the image of the painting using a whatever a technique to apply images to materials and then they had people in I think in China that would add additional brush strokes of real oil paint to make give it kind of a realistic appearance right so I don't know if it was that that they were doing with Dead Man's Hand but I remember I had uh These, they, there was a time when these little tiny mini computers were, were a thing. What were, the, what were they called? Nano books, micro books. Do you remember this whole thing? It was like a laptop computer, but it was tiny, and it was like it was like all the rage for a while. And I had one, and I remember for remember for example, like when I went up to Toronto, I, I had it there so I could, you know, I could have a computer on vacation. And as I recall, I, I was able to find a relatively high-resolution image of this painting, and I used it as sort of the, uh, the desktop background of that little mini-computer. And then I forget what happened. I, that, I don't know why it came to mind, the Dead Man's Hand painting. I think I still have that little computer, but it was running on uh, Windows 
XP, which became deprecated and became dangerous to use because of the security flaws. And I think I installed a Linux on there, which, you know, is interesting to play around with, but in the end, it's a bit of a drag to have Linux on your computer. I mean, it's a good alternative to have, but it becomes a... Dealing with Linux becomes sort of like a big thing as opposed to Windows where you just sort of install it and forget it and you just deal with it. I have Windows 10 and they're constantly trying to get me to upgrade to Windows 11, which I don't see any benefit to at all. Of course, when I get my new computer, I'll be in Windows 11. Never mind, they said Windows 10 would be the last version of Windows. And I remember up here in Times Square, there was, remember there was this whole, they took over Times Square. That may have been for Windows 8, though. <laughs> they, they went from 8 to 10. They didn't want to do 9 because they already had Windows 95 and Windows 98, and they were afraid that 9 would confuse various systems where there already was a Windows 9.5 or Windows 9.8. Yeah, I, I've resisted thus. I do need to get a new computer soon. I will get a new computer soon. I guess the longer I wait, the better the new computer will be I get. It's so annoying, these... I'm going to get another gaming laptop that works for me, but you can spend from like $400 to like $40,000 for a laptop. It's like, I guess you have to just decide what your budget is and just find the best one at that budget because it's insane. The, the range of prices for essentially the same device. So yeah, the dead, I have to look that up, the dead man's hand painting and the desktop background and all that stuff. Very interesting. Ooh, wait a minute. Look, here we are at this theater, which is, what is this? American Airlines Theater? No, the Todd Hames Theater. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be coming here in two days hence to see uh, Doubt with Lee Schreiber and Tyne Daly. Wow, I didn't realize Tyne Daly is in it. She was in Cagney and Lacey, for God's sakes. And Lee Schreiber was born the day after I was born. Literally one day after I was born. She's almost the same. He's a little bit younger than me. A few hours younger than me. But Tyne Daly, man, she's, uh, was she Cagney or Lacey? I forget. Anyway. Uh, wow. Yeah, I'm going to go see it. My wife, Denise, got tickets. She was going to go with someone else, but they backed out, so I'm going to go. I think it's about a priest that was abusing young boys. And I, don't know. I think that's what it's about. I think, wasn't Philip Seymour Hoffman in some version of that. I know that guy always annoyed me. I know I know he's dead now. I don't like I don't like that actor. Tyne Daly though. Jeez, I'm gonna see Tyne Daly on a stage right over there in a in a few days. That's cool. I can dig it. Oh look Dune part two only in theaters. Listen. I thought part one wasn't part one like just on streaming? It was like, it was okay, but I don't know. I think Dune seems to be hard to adapt. That guy whose name is unpronounceable, Yodorowsky, he famously tried to make it. David Lynch did make it, which wasn't terrible, I guess. But this one with Timoth Timothy, oh, there's his name, T Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya. I wonder if they're ever going to make a book of the new sun into a TV series or a movie. Man, I don't know how the hell you do that. Well, I know, you know, um, 
remember about a year ago there was news that uh, what's his name um, that guy that has a late night talk show uh, I'll think of it in a second but that he was going his production company was going to be making a, an Amber TV series based on Roger Zelazny's Amber novels I mean we've been waiting so long to see this amazing world of Amber made made into something and, and there was no news after that um, Stephen Colbert yeah I think it, I believe it was him his production company's gonna but then you don't hear any news about it you know about Corwin and, and the royal family of Amber the pattern and all that jazz you know traveling like this world is a shadow of amber and at the other end of the universe is chaos with their logris which apparently amber and the pattern came out of chaos and the logris at some level right yeah I don't know sometimes it's, it's tough to adapt a, a work it works well as a book but it may not work as great as a as a TV show or a movie. I, I don't know that I well, it should be a TV show. These things need more time than a few hours, as was seen in the uh, attempt to make a Dark Tower movie. The Stephen King... And I read all those books of the Dark Tower. It was... Uh, it, it was... It failed. It was a failed attempt to make a good movie based on the Dark Tower, but I think you could actually really make a good series with the Dark Tower, but you need time to stretch out. It's a vast, epic narrative. You can't do it justice in a few hours. Alright, it's lunchtime. What am I going to get? No. I know I'm not going back to that orange orange place. That place was no good. No good. So I looked it up and um, yeah, that painting Dead Man's Hand was by an artist named Gabe Leonard. And there's a game GabeLeonardArt.com that uh, shows this image, this this painting. It is sold out though, even though there were various prints, I guess they make it limited edition to make it more valuable. Um and I talked about that on the Rampler number 58 on September 20th, 2008. So almost like, what, 16 years ago now? That's a long time ago. <laughs> um, I also looked up netbooks, right? Netbooks, those little mini laptop computers, were um, really only popular between 2007 and 2013. I think I had an Asus or an Acer one. I think I still have it. It may still work. Um, again, I put Linux on it, but yeah, there was this whole article. Like, I guess at that point, around 2008, 2009, it was considered the future of computing. Um, but I believe some people think it was the tablets, like the iPad, which came out around 2010, I guess, as a, as a, as a portable device that's smaller that you can do your web surfing on and some work on um, 
it was obviously a better choice perhaps than a, than a, than a netbook. So the netbook thing all sort of crashed out around 2013. I don't know. I, it's just it's weird looking back on this stuff. Like, like weren't they just around? Just like that whole thing with hipsters that I, I didn't know until I researched it a, a month or two back that hipsters started fading away in 2017. That's a long time ago now, too. So all these things that we know about are slowly fading away, but we remember when they were burning bright like netbooks. I like my little netbook. Come on. I liked it. Anyways. Um, yeah, i got to figure out what I'm going to eat here. Uh, but there's a new beverage out called a new kind of Dr. Pepper that I would very much like to try, but I don't think I'm going to be able to. It is called Dr. Pepper Hot Take. And I actually found out about it because of that collecting candy guy. He has an Instagram page instead of a blog now. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, Dr. Pepper Hot Take is, uh, it comes in a can. It's like a can of Dr. Pepper, but it, it's hot, like hot peppers, right? So you know how I, lo I love Dr. Pepper. I love hot stuff, like peppers and stuff. So I'm like, this is exactly for, right for me. Only problem is you're, it's, it's not available to buy. You have to, uh, you can either like join the Dr. Pepper points program and then if you're a member, you can, you can like uh, play an online lottery every day to try to win a can of this drink. Or I think it's something like rewards points. Like I guess every time you buy a bottle of Dr. Pepper, you get that code on the cap, and then you scan it into the website, and you start building up points, but it seems like you'd have to buy, like, mass amounts of Dr. Pepper to even begin to be able to buy this can of soda. And then, of course, people are selling it on eBay for about $100 for one can of soda. Okay? So, I don't know. It also comes with two uh, little shot glasses, so it doesn't seem... Listen, $100 for a can of soda? What's wrong with these? I know, I know there's inflation, but that's a bit much. <laughs> it's a bit much, please. Even with the current rate of inflation, it'll be a while before a can of soda should cost $100. Well, knock on wood. <laughs> All right, what am I going to get here? So here's La Bote Nice, the, uh, the vegan place. I don't know. I'm just not feeling this place. I don't know what it is about this place. It just annoys me. It annoys me. Well, maybe I can just get vegan ramen at that Japanese place like I used to. Here's kava that's super crowded as usual. We have plant burger. I haven't really gone here too much, but I don't know. This place annoys me too for some reason. <laughs> I don't want to go to it. Right, maybe I'll try to get that ramen. <coughs> I haven't done that in a while. Brooklyn ramen at uh, uh, the uh, Katagiri Japanese grocery. Maybe I'll try that out. Let's see. Head down that way, mosey on down. It's actually, yeah, today is warm. It's like a, it's going to be like 50, 51 degrees, I think. It's, it's getting there. It's probably around that now. It's very nice out. I could almost go sit outside somewhere. That's how nice outside it is. So, anyway, I talked about today's show art, which is that picture of me uh, from around 1989. But, uh, yeah, the show, this, this show is entitled Cool Indoor Artificial River. And uh, just the same way that I, uh, I had never used that image as show art, I can't believe I never used that phrase as a show title before. So the way I, I, I got to that phrase, I was, uh, 
looking to find a title or a phrase uh, from that time period. So <coughs> I have this, uh, my first book of poetry known as A Bake Seal Yusufrukt was a predecessor to Wychok Revival and all of its various names. Uh, this one was pretty, it's, I, I, so I started reading it to try to find some phrases maybe to use as a title and, you know, it's really bad. I mean, there's a few things here and there. Otherwise, it's, as you might expect, someone that's like 20 years old, 21 years old, just actually maybe a little bit older, than maybe like, uh, yeah, 22. But anyway, it's sufficiently bad. Every, you know, I think most people write bad poetry when they're young. Um, but uh, around, I guess it was around March, or April or May 1990 uh, was one of the poems and it starts off with this phrase <coughs> a cool indoor artificial river and uh, that has always resonated with me over the years that's why all of this stuff that's really bad like it there's some good things there so I've always loved that phrase and it was from around the same time as the picture was taken so figured it would be a, a good title um, the font I used is called Cormorant uh, Unicase it's, a, it's an open source font that's on Google Fonts uh, Cormorant is a fan, uh, uh, there's a Cormorant Garamond family, which is based on Garamond, but it's open source, which is very cool. Um, but then there's a Unicase one, which is called Cormorant Unicase. A Unicase font is a font where there's uh, sort of mixing uppercase and lowercase letter forms. It always has kind of a unique look. I thought that really worked there. And I uh, put effects on the type to make it look like it belonged on the original grainy image. I did a little Gaussian blur and uh, and a blending effect that seemed to show the grain through the type. So nice out here. But yeah, Cool Indoor Artificial River is really just as you see sometimes inside buildings there's a there's like a river inside the building, you know, as as sort of a part of the interior architecture, and it's all very cool. And I remember when I went up to Massachusetts for that wedding, that um, Phil and Phil and Sarah's what what wedding? Remember that whole thing? That was a long time ago now. What was it 2005 or something? Uh, but it was in Western Massachusetts, and so we stopped by, and I think this is on tape. Because that's when I had that recorder and, and a lot of the files from that session got corrupted and I was never able to retrieve them. But these weren't, I don't think. We went to uh, the Yankee Candle uh, flagship store in western Massachusetts there. And they had a cool indoor artificial river. There's like a river inside the place. It was like themed, almost like a Disney World kind of thing, but it was Yankee Candle World. And... Uh, I think I remember mentioning the whole cool indoor artificial river concept. Is this place called Motion? What is that, like an ocean in motion? Great. Um, now, are there any indoor artificial rivers he around here? I know that, remember that cursed pavilion that I used to go to a lot? I mean, I felt it was cursed, and it seemed like they put an indoor artificial river in there to try to help the negative energy relieve the negative energies but I don't know if anything could help that place the crystal pavilion remember that whole th that whole thing 
Didn't I go in there within the past year or so? The Crystal Pavilion. I don't know if they still have their indoor artificial river. I guess I could go over there, but it's a bit of a walk from here to get over there. Uh, where else do they have indoor artificial rivers? I don't know. They should have more of them. There should be more of them. Because it's cool to have indoor artificial rivers. Yes, indeed. What's going on here? Across the street from Grand Central. What is this music sound? Oh yeah, there's a plaza over here we can check out on the way to the ramen. Hopefully this lunch will not cost $44. You know. Well, I've been reading those articles like, you know, like McDonald's. You get a burger and fries and a drink now. It's like $18. So they're losing a lot of the customers. They can't afford that. McDonald's used to be cheap. This is known as Pershing Square. And here's a list of rules. Man, there's a lot of rules for Pershing Square. Like, I'm just walking through. Do I need to read the rules? Do I need to understand? I think I may have read these before in the show, but... Pershing Square Plaza, New York City Department of Transportation. So this, pl I guess because this used to be a road, and they turned it into, like, a little park. It's part of the Department of Transportation because it used to be a road. Welcome. We want you to have a safe and enjoyable time. Be courteous and respectful to others, and please keep the plaza clean. Pedestrian plaza rules prohibit obstruction of pedestrian traffic, skateboarding, bicycle, motorized bike, moped, or scooter riding, feeding of undomesticated animals, including pigeons. <laughs> including pigeons? What are the other ones? Like rats and, and what, what else? Centipedes? <laughs> a person or their belongings taking up more than one seat. Smoking or littering. Consumption of alcoholic beverages at the public seating area. Unattended property. Destruction, removal, or tampering of any property or equipment. Spitting, urination, defecation. <laughs> Unreasonable noise. Dogs off-leash or camping. And they have uh, little icons of each of these things just for those that can't uh, read, I suppose. Permits are required for all events. Open to the public. To learn more, visit nyc.gov slash plazas or call 311. Some of this stuff should be obvious, but I understand. People don't know. Like, I'm on the plaza. Can I defecate? Well, no. You can't. Don't do it. It's generally, you should have learned this when you were younger, that you, you go to the bathroom if you want to do that. But it needs to be spelled out because some people don't know. Maybe, you know. Listen, not everyone is that smart. I, I mean, you know, they need to, they, you know, uh, they just need to brush up on the rules. I need to take a shit. Can I do it here? No! Go to the bathroom. Do not do it in the plaza. You know, what do you want me to say? I, I don't understand. Well, well, you know. Ooh, los tacos numero uno. Yeah. Yeah. All right. See if I can find this place. It looks like it's still there. Of course, these days, anytime I go someplace I haven't been in a while, it could be shut down, but I, I see a logo, a Japanese logo in the distance. Here's a food cart called Tia Chana. Is that Aunt, Chan Aunt Chana? Let's 
see what we can find over here. Oh, I can get a rice ball too. I love those rice balls. Maybe I could just just get rice balls. Uh, rice ball lunch, possibly. I do want the ramen though. See, I used to love taking it over to Grand Central to eat it, but now there's no. You can't really sit down in those seating areas. It's all standing tables because of, again, problems with the rules and stuff in this place. Because like all the homeless people would go on would just start hanging out in the dining area and never leave. And the thing is, technically under the law, you, you can't say, oh, this person's a, a business person having lunch and this person's homeless because you can't say that. How would you know? You know, so. So they came up with the rule, no sleeping for a while. Remember that one? So if, like if you're resting your eyes, remember I even recorded it, the cops with the batons, wake up, wake up. You can't sleep here. <laughs> you can sit here. We don't know if you're homeless or not. But you, you have to keep your eyes open. <laughs> so eventually, yeah, I guess that didn't work. So they're just like, yeah, let's just take the chairs away. And then, you know, they can make a rule because someone that's just a business person going to have lunch is not going to be lying down on the ground. So if you're laying on the ground, they can make a blanket rule for that. So anyone, even a, a businessman <laughs> laying on the ground can be uh, rustled on out of there. All right, let's see. All right. Looks like uh, looks like this place is here. Uh, yeah. Let me. I just don't know if the. I think they're wrong. Yeah. It looks like everything's still going here. Wow. Nice. Nice. All right. I, you have to wait in a long line. Then you have to order it. Then you have to give them the receipt. But I'm trying something new today. Instead of the vegan miso ramen, which is thirteen dollars, it has veggie miso broth, soy cream, wavy noodles, scallion, sweet corn, bamboo shoot, and seaweed. I'm getting vegan curry ramen, which is fourteen dollars. Curry? Thank you. Uh, vegan curry ramen is curry paste, veggie miso broth, soy milk, wavy noodle, fried tofu, scallion, seaweed, corn, and sesame. So let me get this in my bag here and we'll be on our way. See, I also got the uh, ume rice ball, onigiri, uh, pickled plum, or a pickled plum-like fruit, which is known as ume. And uh, I got a uh, a Japanese tea drink that uses some sort of new technology. I just glanced at it on the label. I have to look at that when we go sit down. But anyway, so it's cool. A, a new vegan thing. I hope it's hot with the curry. I hope it has, it has some heat to it. Talking about foods, uh, was it a week or two ago? Guy at work was eating combos. You know that snack food combos, and I used to love combos. Uh, it's a little, uh, this is a little like pretzel cylinder, and in the middle they put a kind of a cheese mass in there, like some sort of cheesy material, and uh, you know, like it's one of those things where. You could put one combo in your mouth and sort of, sort of uh, let it sort of soak in, I guess, the saliva and get soft. And then you can sort of like soften the cheese stuff inside. You can sort of suck it out. It's like there's all different ways of eating combos, but usually you don't have the patience for that. You just go, I loved combos, though. But strange as it may seem, they actually... 
there's some element of actual like cheese in there, actual dairy, so it's not vegan. So I have not had combos since the old the 2018, which is a long time ago now. I guess it's like six years ago. Why is everything such a long time ago? It makes sense. 2018 is six years ago. 2008 is 16 years ago. It's simple math. Okay? Mathematics. Yes. And I'm going to go my old uh, preferred route here. Try to reminisce. But anyway, that's the one thing. One of the things I really miss from being vegetarian is combos. I wish they would make a vegan version. I looked it up. There's not... I mean, obviously there'd be no reason for the company to do it, I guess. But I don't even know what company makes it. The Combos Corp. Combos Corp. I don't know. But the closest I can get are those uh, those little cheese-filled pretzels. that I've gotten that one. This is not the same. It's not the same, damn it. So go in Grand Central and then walk through the gourmet market and then down those stairs to the sidecar seating area. What a racket. This is how I, this is how I used to do it way back back in the day. Oh, is this still Mr. Grumpy's coffee? Yeah, Cafe Grumpy. There's a line out the door for this coffee too. see what's going on here. So many memories of just having lunch here. Yeah. It's so weird. A lot of this stuff is exactly as it was before and a lot of it's so changed since the pandemic. Murray's Cheese. Talking about cheese. It's a great place to get cheese. We used to get cheese here back when I was vegetarian. And I know, it's, it's just my own choice. I can eat cheese if, if I wanted to, but I don't want to. Entering the dining course from this back staircase. Uh, I've done so much recording down here. Oh, wow, the little electric police vehicles aren't here anymore. I have so many cool memories of being here in the dining concourse, just listening to audiobooks. Like... Uh, what would I have listened to? Against the Day by Thomas Pynchon. And I think I started listening to the Illuminatus Trilogy by Robert Anton Wilson down here. So many. Oh, they said it right. Will be removed by and subject to search by. What, what, the other place, what, what, what's the way they say it? Will be removed by and subject to search by. They did it wrong. So there are some chairs down here, but they're being used at the moment. But I guess I could sort of stand here like a hawk, and if one of these chairs becomes which this over there, that was my preferred uh, that was my preferred seat back in uh, many years ago by the ATM vestibule. But now is the ATM vestibule gone? I don't know, but I can stand here and uh, you know see. One of these seats will become available. Or I can just stand here at the standing table. Indeed. 
well, the people sitting here look pretty camped, so I think I'm just going to stand. I'm just going to stand. It's okay. All right, I got it. My favorite chair ever. There was another guy kind of eyeing the spot as the other guy left, and so I, I motioned. Since he was closer, and may have been here before, he's like, no, no, don't worry about it. I'm okay. So I got it. Well, I, I didn't want to be rude about it, you know, but this is awesome. My favorite seat, and I'm having it here in 2024. Mm, the rice ball, fantastic. So it's not really, it's more of like, it's not like an orb. It's a, uh, a triangle of rice with the pickle plum inside and then wrapped with the seaweed. It's onigiri. Let's check out this drink here. This is uh, from Kirin. It is uh, quality roasted green tea. It says, I don't really read this thing here. I can't even see it. Uh, brewed with a special technology to bring the Potential of the tea leaves. I think I might need to use the flashlight on my phone. Why can't I read this? I could read it in the store. I think they had better lighting, you know? Now I can read it. Brewed with a special technology to bring out the potential of the tea leaves. Okay, that's exactly what I read before. And this is known as Kirin Soft Drink Tea. Rich roasted green tea. It just contains tea. So that's the only ingredient. Great. Let's try it out here. I can't believe I'm here. It just feels like such a thing of the past. Mm, very. It has that sort of roasted barley flavor. Delicious. And now it's time for the curry. All right. Let's see how this stuff looks. Looks interesting. A little different take on this ramen. Try some out here. Mmm. Interesting. Doesn't seem too hot, though. <clears throat> I used to have to ask for it extra hot, and there was only one guy that worked there that would ever make it hot enough for me. <clears throat> this one ramen dude. He was like the hot ramen dude. He could make it hot. The other people were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they, they added a minuscule amount of whatever paste or powder they used. I need it hot, damn it. I need hot stuff. It's pretty good, though. Mm. Something a little different. See, they make the rule that you can't sit on the floor of stairs. That's an, an, as another way to sort of prevent the homeless from sort of camping out. So you just make this blanket rule because no one really needs to sit on the floor, right? You know. It's got to be tough running a place like this with all the ills of society, right? It's naturally a place where people come for shelter. But, you know, just like I walked in here, you know, any random person can walk in here as long as they follow the rules. 
don't sit on the floor or defecate on the floor or whatever the hell you want to do. All right, that was really good, that, that curry, actually. Very good. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm playing some Magic the Gathering on my phone here. You know, the, the new expansion is out, Murders at Karlov. Excuse me, sorry about that. Murders at Karlov Manor. And, uh, yeah, didn't, um, yeah, Hearthstone just did a detective one too, right? Yeah. <coughs> Recently they did a detective-based one. This is on the world of Ravnica. Um, but there's all these different detective characters, all these murders to be solved. And, um, when it comes to Magic Arena, you know, I used to, um, buy the pre-orders, um, but it got super expensive. Like, you know, you, there'd be $100, $250 pre-orders. And, uh, let me just... I'm not doing too well here. I'm, I'm playing, uh... I'm playing Brawl. Uh, Alquist Prof Master Sleuth. He's a, he's a white-blue detective. But anyway, um... So spending, like, $100, like, maybe three or four times a year. That's a lot of money. But even... At that, I couldn't even begin to afford to play uh, any of the constructed formats. I mean, I might have been able to make one deck, but the mana bases and so many other things, like with Brawl, you only need one copy of each card. With constructed, usually you need four. And all those rare uh, land types, and uh, it just... The fact that I was spending hundreds of dollars a year on this game and I still couldn't really play it is insane. So I focused on what used to be called Historic Brawl, now it's called Brawl in the game, where, and never mind, the standard constructed would, the cards would sort of expire after like a year or two, and then you couldn't use them anymore in standard. You could use them in Historic, but not standard. So, yeah, no. And uh, so I moved over to, to the Brawl, Historic Brawl, now called Brawl, and you could just keep your decks forever in that format. They do change. Some cards change occasionally. But generally speaking, you don't have to worry about them rotating out or anything else. So now I don't spend any money on the game. I think I did buy some wild cards once. Um, but generally, I don't spend any money because I, you know, they made it so expensive that you can't even play the game for hundreds of dollars a year. Now I have enough cards and, you know, you get a few free packs, you grind, you get some gold. You know, I, I threw together this, actually, a standard Brawl deck with Alquist Proft, with all the new cards. What a, what, what a wonderful, strange game, and how it's really just messed up in so many ways. You know, on, in the paper side, there's certain cards that might, that just came out that would cost you $20, $40, $80 for one little piece of cardboard. It just came out. Because it's artificial scarcity. It's a whole thing. Anyway, Magic the Gathering. Murders of Carlos Man. Yeah. And I think the yeah, the Hearthstone one was Myrtles at Myrtles. You're a Myrtler. No. Murders at Castle Nathria, I think, was the one in Hearthstone. And this one is Murders at Castle whatever I just said. Oh, and uh, by the way, this this lunch was like twenty bucks. It was twenty and change. Can you believe it? Cheap, cheap. Compared to the other one. And you can hardly get a Big Mac for that price, as I've said, you know. So. Delicious and a great price. Well, that was a blast from the past. 
Yeah, the uh, ATM vestibule is shut down, closed down, finished. Finito. Gone. I think it was City was it Citibank or something? I don't know. Oh well. Oh, I wanted to, No, you know what? Yeah, someone uh I'm, I'm going to go back down because there was something I wanted to see. Wasn't there a news story that uh, something happened down here like uh, a few weeks ago? I think someone got stabbed or something. Let's see. Yeah, it was at that tartinery place. I think it's right over here, right? Look at that cafe spice. The sign's still up, but the place has been gone since the pandemic. I used to get Indian food there. Oh, so many standing tables. I know it's necessary. Okay, so, yeah, someone got stabbed over here. Uh, hold on, let me, let me stand at this table, see if I can find the article right here. Yeah, here we go. Man charged with hate crimes and stabbing of two teen girls at New York City's uh, Grand Central. And it was here at the Tartinery, right here. Uh, let's see. Uh, 30, this was December 27, 2023. A 36-year-old man accused of stabbing two teenage girls in New York's Grand Central Terminal on Christmas morning and making derogatory comments about white people has been charged with several hate crimes, according to a criminal complaint. The teens, 14 and 16, were attacked in Grand Central's dining concourse on Monday at about 11.25 a.m. They were transported to Bellevue Hospital with non-life-threatening injuries, according to a Metropolitan Transportation Authority spokesman. MTA police officers responded to the attack and arrested the sub suspect. The man had been arrested at least a dozen times before, the latest being in November for criminal possession of a weapon for carrying a knife, according to law enforcement source. Esteban Esono Asue also goes by Stephen Hutcherson, was arraigned Tuesday on two counts of second-degree attempted murder as a hate crime, two counts of assault as a hate crime, one count of attempted assault as a hate crime, and two counts of endangering the welfare of a child to complain stays. Wow. Um, <clears throat> the incident began in the train station's dining area when the man approached the dining employee and, after being asked to leave, said, in essence, I'll leave. I don't want the white man to get at you, according to the complaint. A second dining employee said she went to give the man a seat, and he said, in essence, I don't want to sit with the black people. I want to sit with the crackers, the complaint states. Shortly after sitting and being given water, the man walked over to a table where a family of individuals who appeared to be white were seated, the complaint states. He took out a knife and stabbed the 16-year-old in the back, and as the family tried to get away, stabbed the 14-year-old in the leg, according to the complaint. What the hell? This is insane. <clears throat> the teen who was stabbed in the back suffered a collapsed lung. That's not life-threatening? While the younger girl had a puncture wound in her thigh, the complaint states... The teens are sisters who were visiting from South America. Uh, okay, so, yeah, this is like, wow. This is wild. Terrible, terrible stuff. Ay, ay, ay. But right here, so it was right over here in the, I guess, the seating area of the tartinery. Yeah. Terrible, terrible stuff going on. 
<laughs> I remember I tried to eat at this place once, and uh, I had read on the web. Remember the whole thing I read on the website? They had this something was vegan, but I I went to the counter and I'm like, "Hey, do, do you have this vegan thing?" And they looked at me like I had two heads. I didn't even know what the word meant. I don't think, and it was just so annoying. And yeah, so eventually I just I just left. Oh, here's the donut plant. I wonder if they have any vegan donuts. I'm quite full, though, from my ramen and my onigiri. And of course, there's these escalators down to the train station, under the train station. Yeah, I'm not going to get a donut. But just, just for... Let's just see what they have in case they have... I don't know if they have any vegan ones right now. I'm not sure... Can't see. Let's not worry about it. No. No donuts today. Oh, come on, there's just so many overlapping memories in this place. <clears throat> oh, look, they put a Van, Le- Van Leeuwen ice cream place here. They do have vegan ice cream here, though. Vegan chocolate chip cookie dough, <laughs> vegan peanut butter brownie honeycomb. How does the honey, how do you get honey? Vegans, it's not, honey's not vegan. What's wrong with these people? <clears throat> vegan strawberry shortcake, vegan dark chocolate fudge brownie, vegan mint chip, vegan churros and fudge. Wow, there's even more vegan. Vina, vegan banana bread with walnuts and vegan cookies and cream caramel swirl. I, I really have to question the, the vegan honey-based one. I know people have different interpretations of honey being vegan, but as it is a juice excreted by insects who are a kind of living animal creature, I wouldn't say it's vegan necessarily. Was this a new place called Veselka? What the heck is this? This used to be the, uh, the falafel place. Veselka? What do they have here? Meat or vegetarian borscht? Oh, it's like a Russian place. Okay. <coughs> Braised beef, kielbasa or sauerkraut, stuffed cabbage, chicken paprikash, chicken schnitzel. Jeez. Looks good for people into such things. I don't think I can find anything here, but, you know, what do you want? I can hardly find anything. So, I wanted to go back to this perception issue, because I know there was one angle that I didn't really address, which is that when I'm standing here going up the escalator, like... I see an escalator because, right, traditionally speaking, in physical reality, there's an escalator here. And I'm seeing it, the codes that my, like my eyes are receiving patterns that go into the brain or into whatever system. And uh, it provides me the meaning and the experience of an escalator. So the idea being, and I think this is a kind of um, philosophy that a lot of people talk about is that you're not seeing the actual raw visual signal. You're experiencing an interpretation of that signal that's gone through this system of adding meaning to it, right? And this begs the question, does there even need to be a physical world if all you're really experiencing is this somewhat mental uh, experiential system? The hell, the Rite Aid's gone too? This Rite Aid was here forever and a half. Look at this. The Rite Aid's gone. But there's a little crack in the hoarding here, and we can take a look in. 
Oh my God! Look at this—the the empty, yeah, the empty uh, Rite Aid. All of, all of the shelves are still in there. The refrigerant units, yeah, it's all empty though. Wow, wow, some things do change. That's sad because that was a particularly wonderfully depressing place to walk around. <laughs> yeah. Listen, what do you want? So. Uh, so, so I get, yeah. So the theory is, if all you're really experiencing is this this series of meanings based on the experiences you're having, then couldn't we imagine that the system is just experiences and just meanings, and that there really is no physical world, right? Because if we break it down, right, we're sort of talking about this archive of meanings that exists. And again, if you want to talk about the database in your brain of stuff that you learned as a kid growing up, which is the more traditional way of interpreting that, right? Uh, oh, wow, there's that, there's that cool new building. Looks like a Blade Runner building. But anyway, right, there's this set of meanings that exist. Whatever form they may take, as, you know, if you want to be scientific about it, it's patterns in the neurons of your brain, okay? But something science can't talk about or explain is, is the existence of consciousness or the sense of observing things, right? That's another thing. So there's the consciousness, and then there's the set of meanings, and then there's some process, some way that the sequence of like most meanings are blocked off at any given time and you're only focusing on certain meanings at, at any given time and there's something of a sequence of these meanings, right? So all there needs to be some sort of system controlling it or influencing it. So you have the system of meanings and the consciousness and then this thing in between them which is sort of directing which meanings are, are being presented at, at which time. you break it down like that, it sounds like there's three things. But, right, the second theory that reality is all just God that has subdivided itself, then the set of meanings is within God and the, the consciousness is of God and so then you only have this question of, like, why is there a series of meanings of me walking down 42nd Street at the moment? Right? Like, there has to be some reason. There has to be some, you can call it filters or focusing on aspects of this meaning archive. But we're, there's clearly, like, I'm you know, I'm going to experience the next block of 42nd Street coming up. And I was on the previous block. So there's a sequence, there's a logic, there's a narrative to it. But you might consider that the mind of God itself, with all of these separate meanings is directing the course itself.
in which case it all seems rather arbitrary but it's a meaningful experience and all those aspects where you feel like stressed out put upon uh, existential dread existential angst all these things are only enhancements to the experience those themselves are bits of that archive of meanings so somehow combining almost like playing chords on a piano oh wow look at that old car that's cool it's an old beige car El Dorado maybe I can't really read it from this distance the golden one El Dorado is that what it is Dorado does it mean the golden man El Doro would be the golden one. Ado, El Dorado. Oh, I don't know the etymology of the Spanish words as much, perhaps, as I should. I don't even speak Spanish. Uh, but then, this in this theory, there is no physical reality per se. It's it's all just uh, the sense that there's a contiguous physical world is one subcategory of, of, of meanings, right? But there is no there there is no world actually. It's all sort of inside something in this theoretical framework. So what practical value does this have? I, I understand, like, from this perspective, like when I was an adolescent, I wanted, you know, like most adolescents, you're very confused and angered at, at life and your place in the world. So you think about having, like, magical powers could solve a lot of your problems. But that desire for magical powers would be meaningless if it wasn't for a sense of insecurity, a sense of confusion, a sense of alienation, right? And all of those senses seem to be added onto the experience to enhance it in some level. So, <coughs> it, I mean, it seems like there would be a potential capacity to hack into such a system to be able to alter things at this level. But that would, so I suppose, uh, change the tone of the narrative that you're experiencing were you to hack into the system. The one thing I'm, I'm trying to uh, perceive... Oh, wow, look at the sidewalk art. It's Mother Mary. Who's that guy talking to? I'm just trying to help. Who is he talking to? I don't know. Let me look over here. Yeah, he wasn't talking to anyone. I forget exactly what I was going to say. Maybe I finally had the answer. And I was finally going to say it, but it slipped my mind. <laughs> 
Third Street now. Well, I know what I was going to say. Um, the theory that if we are a higher being, really, there's some mechanism that is preventing us from knowing ourselves at this level. But the idea is that it can't be complete. The sense of true self would still exist at some level, right now, like in my mind and my sense of identity and my sense of self, my my the, my true self, whatever, wherever that is, that I would be aware of that at some level. It may be very subtle, but it's still there. So that is that's a theory that if we could sort of discover that and cognate that, it, it would help us to understand things. But thus far, I haven't been able to do it. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> the workday is complete. Heading out. Yeah, you know, we have this little shop in the lobby here. And they had this, uh, I guess, sort of like a health food version of like Dr. Pepper. Because I had Dr. Pepper on the mind, I, I got it. It was called, what's it called, Dr. Osgood or something? I don't know. I have, I have to look at my notes. But yeah, we'll get to that. Mm. But uh, yeah, let me go over to the park here. It's a rather mild, nice night out here. Yeah, continuing on this train of thought about perception I just uh, I just sort of feel like the thought that like this is we're living in a virtual reality that's running on a computer in another world and that world is also running in a computer and that world is in the imagination of a butterfly having a dream in a higher dimension and that world is this and that world is that that would only represent layers of complexity in the system right what we're trying to talk about with this particular theory is the actual nature of the reality generation system or the experiential system. So it kind of has nothing to do with all those layers of this and that, right? Uh, that's just sort of like um, the specifics, the content of the system. But what I'm concerned is the basis of the system. And the idea that these uh, symbols or meanings of things, like I'm going into Bryant Park now, so stairs, people, signs, again, lights, right? Each of these is kind of represented by a, a meaning, a word, a symbol, but you know what I'm saying. It's something you experience, but you can't really pin down. Like, what is, what is there's a table, but what is, like, there's clearly a meaning of table when I look at a table, but what is the nature of that meaning? It just feels like table to me, you know? Uh, but other things, too, 
every aspect of our experience, from our external experience and our internal experiences, emotions, thoughts, etc., those are all potentially just symbols of the same sort. Right? So, in, in the problem, which is... Uh, How is it that in this moment I don't, I'm not aware of being any other type of thing other than me, Frank Nora? But it could be that the sense of identity is just another symbol, right? And the whatever you want to say, being cut off from. Can I go down this way? Being cut off from my true identity is also just a symbol. <clears throat> it's, so, it's so aggravating. I feel like I'm on the edge of figuring something out, but I don't know. I don't think maybe I'm not figuring anything out at all. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, there's no... this The system... Physic, like I, I was saying, physical reality... Science, physics, everything else is just, they're just also symbols in this, uh, in this database. But I know this sort of, like, going down this road sort of feels like it's, it could potentially take all meaning out of, out of life if you were just to go down this road. All right, I need to sit down for a minute here in the park. I guess I'll sit down by the carousel as usual. Usually seems to be the place where I sit down. There's like this raised platform behind it. The Christmas Christmas ornament shop with hot chocolate for only six dollars. Yay! Didn't hot chocolate used to cost like fifty cents and now it's six dollars? I know, inflation. When you want inflation. Yeah. So yeah, this uh, freaking... Uh, now, I understand there's lots of different kinds of Dr. Pepper. Like There was like Dr. Thunder. There was even that uh, Mr. Green, which was uh, based on the Sobe drinks. Whatever happened to that company. This is called Olipop Dr. Goodwin. And I took a picture of the can. I, I, I really thought it was going to have some kind of Dr. Pepper flavor. It's like Dr. Goodwin from Olipop. A new kind of soda. It's prebiotics, whatever. What's this hand here? Olipop combines the classic soda you know and love with prebiotics, plant fiber, and botanicals to support your microbiome and digestive health. Finally, refreshing soda that's actually good for you. Crack open a swift kick of boldly refreshing flavors. Dr. Goodwin is a head-on collision of ingredients. Uh, like rich plums, sweet prunes. What the hell? Oh, I just saw a rat. Sweet prunes and zesty tart cherries with a touch of pure vanilla extract for true soda enigma the doctor would actually order. So, I mean, I don't know what the hell was going on with this drink. It tasted nothing like Dr. Pepper. Because I know plums and prunes are supposed to be, which are kind of the same thing, kind of. Uh, no, isn't a, pl- a prune a uh, plum that's been dried? Or an, an ume? No. A lot of plum content on today's show. Um, this was not good. It was not good. Uh, but I also got this uh, snack called Sea Monsters. Yeah, I have it in my bag here. Let's see. So good. 
Yeah, it's a bag of snacks called Sea Monsters, a baked super grain, and seaweed puffs. It's a sweet chili flavor. This stuff is really good. It's like a seaweed snack. <coughs> the perfect blend of umami and our super grain sorghum and seaweed puffs is dusted with our sweet chili seasoning for just the right balance of sweet and little heat. Vegan. So, <coughs> this company, I looked them up on, because I had my guy at work had these like a week or two ago. <coughs> these are so good. It's like, it's like, imagine like those puffy Cheetos, you know, those two different kind of Cheetos, the puffier ones. Imagine that with like seaweed flavoring. It's so good. I, I love, I love anything that, that's flavored with seaweed. Um, but they have two other flavors. I forget what they were, but then one is one of the other flavors is vegan, and then there's a third flavor that's not vegan. It's like cheese flavored, but there's so many vegan cheese flavors. Why would they have to put actual cheese in there? I don't know. I guess there's some people that if they see the word vegan, they're not going to want it because it's just not not for them. I don't know. But anyway, I, I I had a bag. I was sharing it with people from work. I bought two bags, so now I have one to bring home. Um. Oh yeah, so I looked up that that honey ice cream. It's it's actually fake honey. Somehow they it's called honeycombs, but or whatever whatever I said it was at that Van Lu and ice cream. But they use fake honey. It's not actual honey. So. Uh yeah. In other news, if I can, hmm, what happened here? Uh, musician Mojo Nixon has died at age 66. Quite a name, Mojo Nixon. Um, he is someone that I remember hearing about once. I think when I was at MTV. Remember I was an intern at MTV back in the late 80s? Right around the time that picture was taken. That was probably a little after. I, you, know, you know what? I, yeah, I may have still been an intern at that point. I'm not sure. At MTV News. Um, so Mojo Nixon and Skid Roper were this pair. And they did kind of uh, like gag songs and silly songs and stuff and they were sort of country they were sort of punk but I really I don't think I ever heard their music but I remember having a conversation with someone when I was at MTV and they're like oh and maybe they did a, a report on them for MTV News and I just always remember they talked about this song Stuffing Martha's Muffin which uh, was about Mojo Nixon's song complaining about MTV I guess because they wouldn't play his music videos so it starts off with him talking, and then he's, like, talking to Martha Quinn on the phone, and he's like, I want to be stuffing Martha's muffin, which I guess is a slang term for having sex with Martha Quinn, one of the original five VJs on, on MTV. And then the one line of the song is sort of a call-and-response kind of song. It's all like a, you know, sort of a parody thing. And I know I never heard this because I would have remembered it. He's like, all right, everyone repeat after me. Music television, music television. Should be covered in jism. Should be covered in jism. Jism, of course, is a... Well, you probably know. What the hell is that sound? Oh. No, that's a jet plane. What the hell? There's some sort of helicopter up there. Yes, jism is a... Uh, it's a slang term for semen. What is that sound? Uh, okay. I just see it. It's a helicopter up there, yeah. Uh, anyway, I don't think I ever heard that song. I, I just remember hearing someone. So it, I guess the people at MTV heard the song, and it was very critical and very, very dirty song, saying mean things about MTV. And maybe that's why they were talking about it. But I don't know if I ever heard his music. Otherwise, I remember this. The name is so memorable. 
So I found out, so Mojo Nixon just died at age 66. His name was Neil Kirby McMillan Jr. Ah, hell, what kind of name is that? No wonder he changed his name. Uh, and Skid Roper is still alive. His name is Richard Bank, his real name. Imagine, instead of Mojo Nixon and Skid Roper, it was Neil McMillan and Richard Bank. Jeez, that's very boring sounding. And um, it, it really reminded, his music reminded me a bit of this guy Zoog's Rift. Um, much, much more obscure guy. But his his music is now on streaming. Zoog's Rift, Z-O-O-G, Z-O-O-G-Z, R-A-F-T. I think he was originally from Jersey, but went out to California. I have something on the other side that has him interviewing a band or something, but Zoog's Rift, interesting guy. Again, with that kind of weird humor, punk kind of weird music. I, I've listened to a little bit of his stuff. His name was uh, Bob... Polakowski, but his his fake name was Zoog's Rift, and he uh, was around from '53. He died in 2012, so it kind of reminded me of Skid Roper and Mojo Nixon and all that. Yeah, I wanted to mention the uh, I know the, the last album art, which is, has uh, the, the 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 three weasels plus Jefferson looking at that wicker ball. You know, I kind of said I wanted to. I, I was looking thinking of producing a more it turned out really great, you know. But I, w- I wanted something sort of like a, a classic, you know, like 70s prog rock album cover. Um, and I realized it would kind of was reminiscent of uh, Led Zeppelin's presence, right? That I think, and I think, I don't know, did um, Hypnosis do that one as well? Where there was this weird shape, which actually I think was cut out of this weird obelisk. Like these families were sitting around staring at this obelisk. Sort of rem- reminiscent of that in, in a way. I thought it was pretty cool. I liked it. Yeah. What the hell am I looking at here? A lot of stuff. Hmm. Oh yeah, I figured I would mention this. Um, so, my brother John, he, his friend up in Boston, and they he, they do a show here on the channel called Combat Zone. And you know, in the past, the guy kind of he didn't want his name out there and stuff so we had to sort of reorganize stuff all the audio is still up but we try not to say his name or whatever but he's been having some health issues so my brother went up to visit him and I do have more ta- my brother had that tape I do have more stuff I can he didn't record this last time but he said that this guy who shall remain nameless for the time being he's kind of again he's been having some health issues and so my brother like like went out I guess that some pizza was delivered and he went out and went back in with the pizza and this guy said he had seen a ghost. Not only a ghost, a robot ghost. It was like this weird robot, I guess wearing wearing regular human clothes, like was facing away from him, and then it started turning. A, a robot ghost wearing like clothes, like I guess a shimmering ghostly form of a robot. And then he just sort of, the robot, when he looked over, the robot was there sort of standing away from him, and then started turning around to look at look at him. This weird robot ghost <laughs> I'm kind of imagining he was wearing like some sort of business suit or something. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I don't know what that was all about. I just thought I would mention the robot ghost. I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know what was going on there. Imagine that starts. Imagine that started to be a thing. That sounds like a cool like uh, Twilight Zone or Black Mirror or something. All of a sudden, everyone around the world starts seeing robot ghosts. <laughs> oh man, sounds pretty cool. Um. <laughs> yeah, I uh I'm trying to think of how I got 
into this, but I, I started rewatching The Mighty Boosh. The Mighty Boosh. This is a show that is so great. <coughs> Let me get moving here. I'm gonna go for walk to the bus terminal. Um, it's a it's a it's a comedy TV show where which is based on these two characters and and their sort of weird cohorts. But it, it so it's basically Julian Barrett plays Howard Moon and um, Nigel Fielding, I think is his name, plays Vince Noir. And it starts in the beginning. They're zookeepers, right? And there's a gorilla that's their friend, and there's Swami guy that's their friend. <coughs> um, and I think it was started around 2005. So back in the... I know I talked about it in the show. I really got heavily into uh, The Mighty Boosh. But now it's on Hulu. You can just watch the whole thing on Hulu. It's real easy to watch. And um, so it's like it's like the surreal adventures of these two guys. So it's not necess- It's not really like a sketch show. It's... Even though it's just... Sort of like The Young Ones, right? It's, it's actually related to The Young Ones in some ways in that it's... Uh, these guys that are have all these weird surreal adventures, like these losers living together in a house or whatever, and just having all these these wild adventures. It's a great uh, genre for, uh, especially British comedy. But this stuff is especially like surreal. But I'm just sort of struck by the lat. You never hear about it. I never see anything about the Mighty Boosh. No one ever talks about it. Maybe it was bigger in Britain. I don't think it, it was ever really shown here. I remember years ago, some people I worked with had heard of it and, and were fans of it, but it's so great. Uh, and it's been so long, I've kind of forgotten the entire series, so I, I'm, I'm re-watching it almost like for the first time. <laughs> yeah, I think, they, I think they dropped the whole Zookeeper thing after the first season, if I recall correctly. But like the two loser guys, main characters, like... The ultimate show like that, of course, is Peep Show. There's no doubt about it. And I think I'm about ready to rewatch that series as well. I don't know about rewatching series, though. There's so much stuff I need to watch that I haven't seen before. But Peep Show, of course, is utterly fantastic. These two loser guys living in a flat together in London. This is uh, less surreal. The idea is you sort of hear their thoughts inside their head and stuff and you're always seen through the eyes of a certain character but that show is fantastic and then uh, eh, related to, also related to Young Ones is a show called Bottom which somehow I found it online years ago it's with Adrian Edmondson who played Vivian in the Young Ones and Rick Mayall who played Rick and they're two losers that live together in an apartment and those various adventures <laughs> uh yeah, so I don't, I don't know. Is there, are there any instances of that genre anymore? I don't know. But yeah, I'm going to definitely keep going with the Mighty Boosh. There's just something about it. It just sort of feels like it should have gotten more popular or something. I don't know. Mighty Boosh. B-O-O-S-H, if you're wondering. I think it was based on someone had a like their hairdo was really big and bushy so someone called it a ah oh, you've got a mighty bush there and so that's why they named it that they also had like concert movies radio shows yeah and and the one the Noel Felding or Fielding guy he wound up on this show called The Great British Baking Show that I've heard of I've never seen it but he apparently is uh, 
he's there. So I don't know if he got more popular than the other guy, Julian Barrett. Though I, I think I think one or two of them were in that um, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which was actually before Mighty Boosh. And that guy, Matt Berry, who uh, is a musician, and I think he's in seeing What You Do in the Shadows, that show, What We Do in the Shadows. He's, he's in Mighty Boosh as well. The whole thing. Um, Noel Fielding. Uh, and he also... Because, you know, every so often I get obsessed with Kate Bush videos. And, um, you know, her she has two videos for Wuthering Heights. Out on the thing, windy moors, we song down, down. I don't know the lyrics. Heathcliff, it's me, I can't see you. Anyway, there's one, one of the two videos, she's wearing this red dress and she's just dancing in the woods. And it's such like an incredible, weird, amazing... What is all this noise? Oh my God. What is causing these noises? That was just a bus going by. What does it sound like? It has a huge air blower on it or something. I don't know. But yeah, I, I really do get obsessed with Kate Bush from time to time. But um, So... Uh, it turns out that there's Kate Bush Day or, or Wuthering Heights Day. That was her first single. She was like 19 years old. She's a musical genius. She, um, so there's people. They go out in the in this field. All over the world. This is like a worldwide phenomenon. There's like hundreds of people dressed in that dread dress. And they do the dance. It's like this whole thing. And then Noel Fielding, who played Vince Noir, he was on, you know, like in Britain they have this Again, it's something I don't really know about that much. It's like there's this... Uh, is there like a charity telethon in Britain where you have to wear like a red nose and people do comedy stuff? They're raising money for the poor or something, right? So I run across that from time to time. So there's Noel Fielding doing the uh, Kate Bush dance wearing the red dress. Yeah, I just ran across that recently. Is that why I started getting back into Mighty Boosh? I don't know. I'm trying to think what the trigger was for me to uh, remember the Mighty Boosh. I don't recall specifically what it was. Uh, here we are, Broadway. I don't know, but yeah, it's a good show. Check it out. Mighty Boosh, Kate Boosh. I just, I just, I didn't realize the connection. There, I, there is really no connection, but, or maybe was that why? Because he was on Mighty Bush that he did the Kate Bush dance. Was there a relationship there? Or? I don't know. I don't know. All right. Rock and roll vibe dining, brunch daily, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Ex, uh, two asterisks. Happy hour. Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Dot dot open every night until 2 a.m. Dot dot pinktaco.com. Hmm. Oh, yeah, there's this new place called Pink Taco. Isn't that a euphemism for a body part? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not everything is a euphemism for something. I think it is, though. Nah, I think it is. That's 
probably the point of it all. So, as Colin Hayes says, people just love to play with words. That was one of the, the deep album tracks on one of the Men at Work albums, right? People just love to play with words. Great. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know why I don't feel like going to the comic book store, but I really don't feel like going there. I'm not going to go. I think I need to take a break from the comic book store. There's a certain vibe in there that I hadn't really found objectionable, but... I don't know. I would just prefer not to have it. Look at this. Here, here's a manhole cover. It's uh, Time Warner Cable of New York City, and it has that wild eye with the spiral that's super Illuminati-ish. I remember I wanted to get something with that logo on it back in the 90s. And uh, I should probably take a picture of that. Some strange individual standing next to it. But yeah, this is like probably one of the last remnants of that logo, which feels so kind of... Yeah, I remember I got a mug. I think that guy, Mike, from the video game store, he uh, got me a mug. Where did he go? He was able to get a, a mug with that Time Warner logo. With the eye and the spiral. That, that must, that's probably been there forever. I, I've probably walked by, past that a million times. Yeah. Anyways, on 41st Street. What did I write in the show notes? Theories of, of reality on 42nd and 43rd Street. I like that. I can't believe I'm going to be back here in two days going to see a play. It's kind of cool. Tyne Daly, for God's sakes. <laughs> the Amazing Journey begins March 8th. What kind of journey is that? I don't, I don't even know what they're talking about. Is it really that amazing? I mean, let's see. It is... Oh, the Who's Tommy. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I never really got into the Who's Tommy. never really got into the Who. Oh, here's people arriving, taking their... Oh, that was that noisy bus. These people are now arriving at the Hampton Inn here on 41st Street. Uh, a, a tour group. Arriving in New York City. It's very exciting for them, the people I'm walking past at the moment. It is exciting. It's an exciting place. It's Ma- Manhattan, for God's sakes. Why is there a super bright light across the street? It's so weird. Anyway, uh, with that, I want to say thank you so much for patching into this episode of the Overnightscape. I truly appreciate you listening. Uh, it is much appreciated. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nor. This is the Overnightscape. This is uh, February 2024-ish. No, it is February 2024. Perceptually, at least. Um, and we're here in Onsug Radio, broadcasting from inside the book. Just go to onsug.com to get all of your the information you need now, at this time period, onsug.com, onsug.com. Short for Overnight Escape Underground. Onsug.com. Uh, we have tons of uh, hosts, different shows. It's like a podcast network or something. It's been going for so long. It's just sort of 
just sort of feel I don't I don't even know I don't really feel like is it podcasting or is it something else but uh, it is podcasting we have an enormous archive over 14,000 hours of material we have uh, it's a non-commercial project we have a really unique style and we're very focused on preservation of all the shows on into the near and far future so that's kind of a stated objective of ours here on Onsug Radio is to uh, preserve our work for those in the distant future, as I do think it will be of interest to them. Arrogant, perhaps, but necessary. Yes, arrogance is necessary at times, indeed. I can't believe this place Schnippers is still here. Like, I would have, this doesn't Schnippers sound like a place that would open in like 2004 and close in like 2009? Why is it still here? I guess it's just very... I guess because they have Sloppy Joes. They have vegan Sloppy Joes? No! There's really no point. Sloppy Joe is just this nasty, like, watery meat product that's thrown on a bun. What the hell is a Sloppy Joe? Get out of here with Sloppy Joes. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway. Yes. Your voice can be on this channel. Record your segment for... Overnight Escape Central. I have to do. I will be doing that tomorrow. Recording my segment. Dave in Kentucky does his show. Monthly now. And the next episode. The 10th will be the. Uh, two days from now will be the deadline. For old time religion. Old time rock and roll. And old time radio. And just. Uh, you can use email to contact Dave. Send your audio in. Or ask him any questions. It's Dave. K-Y. At. Dave. K-Y. At mail. Dot com. D-A-V. E-K-Y at M-A-I-L dot com. And your voice can be in this archive. If you want to talk about one, two, or all three of those topics, there's a lot of wiggle room there. So much to talk about. Please do. We'd love to hear from you. Anyways, now, as I enter the old... Port Authority bus terminal to get the bus home. You are going to enter a terminal of the perceptual mind. You will have an amazing time here. It is an audio journey. <laughs> Look at that, this freaking land of beer. That place where the beer costs three times as much as in Jersey. Okay. Enter your land now. The other side. Starbeat presents what's happening through April 19th. Putting on the Ritz on Butterfield Road, one mile east of Highland Avenue, Oakbrook, features top live entertainment with never a cover. Jamet, Monday through Thursday, Windjammer, Friday and Saturday at the grand opening of In and Around, 10235 West Grand Avenue, Franklin Park. The Saints and Sinners in Willow Springs features a 10-man male dancer extravaganza Wednesday, plus a special Easter party Saturday. Classic Rock with Red Muldoon and Air Guitar Competition Thursdays at Eric the Red, 3300 West 11th Street, Chicago. A $2 million unbelievable intergalactic robot show at Tobias, 6020 West Belmont, Chicago, Wednesday, April 22nd. The Vineyard, 75th and Cast Darien, presents the outside chance. Plus, Wednesday's chicken and ribs, all you can eat, $4.95. The Ship's Rail Turtle Trot at 154th and Calumet Expressway in the Dalton Lodge with $250 weekly cash prize Mondays. This is Steve Cronin. For more what's happening information, call the Starbeat Dictaphone at 948 8800. You're watching the Comedy Channel. The Comedy Channel. The Comedy Channel. The Comedy Channel. 24 hours a day under one roof.
you should watch the Alan Havy show when you're home late at night. Hi, my name is Alan Havy. I mean, he's cool, he's cute, he's funny. I think he's a security risk. This is funny, right? Please watch Tommy Sledge, P.I. The Comedy Channel stand-up detective. Please! My attack dogs and I love to hunker down with the Rachel Sweet Show. I always turn to the Higgins boys and Gruber. What are the Higgins boys and Gruber? <laughs> These are guys that drink coffee, eat donuts, and smoke a lot of cigarettes. This is funny, right? Life expectancy, spring. <laughs> Alan Havy, Rachel Sweet, Tommy Sledge, Rich Hall, the Higgins boys and Gruber. Won't you join us? God forbid you should do something useful and constructive with your time. The Comedy Channel. We're having a good time. We're doing our part. The Comedy Channel. It's our job. Extra, extra, honest ads, often imitated, never duplicated, world-famous bargain house, does it again. Inflation, recession, hard times, not at honest ads. These bargains run until store closing January 19th. One and a half liter Corningware covered saucepan at Ed's unbelievable price of $8.88. 8-ounce jar of Nescafe Rich Blend Instant Coffee only at Ed's for just $4.99. Men's Pile Line three-quarter length car coats in small, medium, and large at Ed's just $10.88. Alpha Number 8 Meat Grinder for you at Ed's for only $9.99. Booty Style Casuals by Chow for ladies and teens sizes 5 to 10 only, $12.88 a pair. One location only, four big floors of bargains to save you money. Honest Ed is a nightmare. But my bargains are a dream. Redolent with the age that must 
city. It's one big, hot, miserable solar collector. But who says it's not a cool place to live? Introducing icebreakers, the screwdriver, the sea breeze, the New Orleans hurricane, refreshingly frozen, icy cold right from your freezer, and basically cooler than anything you've ever tasted. Icebreakers, you're in for the chill of your life. I'm Mary Major, and these are real people, not actors, who are taking advantage of PRN's exceptional psychics. I'm about to find out how it's going. Michelle, how was your free sample reading? It was excellent. I'm shocked. <laughs> Basically, all I told her was my name and my birth date. That's it. And she told me everything else, and she made me a believer. He was like, well, it could be mother, mother to be. And I said, well, I am pregnant. She told you things that nobody would know about you unless they knew you personally. Exactly. I felt like she was just right with me and knew my life as soon as I picked up the phone. It was nice. We laughed and everything. She made, she made you feel comfortable. And it was just great. It was, it was nice. They told me everything about my life, every step that I'm going to take. And I didn't even tell them anything, just my name, my birthday. And, you know, she's just telling me everything from there. Looks like you guys found the right people. <laughs> For once, someone's found the right people. For your free sample reading, call now. Call 1-800-513-4825. Welcome now to Beauty and the Beast, Sex Against Sex. Our panel for tonight, Sue Becker, Australia's zaniest export to Toronto. Linda Sorensen, actress and voice of lovely ladies everywhere. And of course, Xaviera Hollander, having searched and found a new meaning in love. And now, here's the chief honcho of international male chauvinism, Bob Guccione. Thank you, Big John. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an awful lot of mail. And some of it very interesting. And the more interesting letters we're going to talk about tonight. And I want to start with a particularly uh, exciting one. Which is, in fact, a letter from, I'm sorry to say, an unhappy hooker. It reads, Dear Bob, I used to be a hooker in Toronto. One day it struck me that I was going nowhere. I turned my life around, became legit. I got married and have a lovely daughter of three. I've never told anyone about where I came from or what I did before I got married. Now all of a sudden I'm in a jam. My husband sees a hooker friend of mine who is threatening to tell all if I interfere with their relationship.
forgot to tell you before that trip on the gondolier that was two dollars a return trip so it wasn't that cheap that was that's two dollars each i mean hi mum and dad it's cheryl here and wayne um it's now tuesday that sounded funny it's now tuesday at what's the time six six say six six o'clock <laughs> and um we're at the Infocargill Motor Camp. Raceway Motor Camp. Yeah. And um, anyhow, on Monday, well, I think we told you everything else, yeah, Sunday we just slept late and went through our clothes, watched a bit of TV and went to bed very early. Uh, Monday, got up about, oh, about nine, I think it was. We tried to send a suitcase home of clothes because we got far too much clothes, we found out. Wanted to send a suitcase home. And... Um, was too big, they can only send it around New Zealand. Only to New Zealand, they can't send it overseas. So, well, we had to take it back to the Bloomin' Cabin again. And it was raining and pouring, we were saturated by the time we got back. And it snowed, <laughs> it snowed the afternoon as well. Not where we were, though, up in the mountains. Oh, yeah, up in the mountains. I wrote some letters, Sharon had to sleep and watch some TV. Really lazy sort of life. Um, on Tuesday, we're up early, still no mail, we're waiting for a letter from you. A bit wild that we haven't got a letter, but still. And um, we left for Infocargill at 10.15 in the morning. Very cold, it was freezing cold, but it was nice. <laughs> but it was nice and, you know, it was sunny, but it was cold. <laughs> it's no... You talk around the bush, you do. Oh, I can't help that. It snowed really heavily last night. Oh, now what else you got here? <laughs> oh, come on, table <laughs> Scrub country. Well, we crossed over the Devil's Skek Case Bluff. We followed Lake Wapita down to Kingston, where we stopped for morning tea. Lake Water Tipton. Oh, shut up. Down to Kingston, where we stopped for morning tea for ten minutes. Left again at 11.25. It was gladly welcomed after living on cheese and cups of soup for four days. The ground was very rocky with, uh, with no trees, but they've started planting a few alongside of the road. Still very dry. Just before Lumsden's, Lumsden, the land's looking a bit better. There's a bit more green around. Most of the homesteads along here are the sh either sheep or cattle stations. Arrived in Lumsden at 12.10pm. Had dinner and left again at 1.10. Lumsden, 629 feet above sea level. We have 79 kilometres to Infocargill. The land is fairly flat with hills in the dis with hills in the distance. Reminds us very much of the valley, minus the vineyards and wineries. <coughs> Shut up. Paddocks, very green. Starting to get overcast and windy. Arrived at Infocargill at 2.30pm. Got a taxi to the raceway motor camp three miles out of town. Cost us blooming two dollars. Um, very nice cabin, a lot better than the other ones we had at um, Queenstown. They've even got carpet on the floor, which sort of makes it look a lot, lot warmer. And we did uh, some letters, wrote some letters, and got a few groceries. That's about all. We wanted to go and watch TV in the recreation room. Apparently there had been a whole of vandalism last night. Now the kids are out of school, they've got to do something. They went and vandalised this 
recreation room with his TV. They and had a pool table in there too. We were yeah. going to play pool tonight. Yeah, but that's, that was all whole shut down, so now we've got to sit in our rooms for bloody hours on end doing nothing. Just writing letters, which we're getting pretty sick and tired of doing. We rang Annette up before, and um, we have to be out of here on Thursday morning at 10 o'clock. So we're going into the city tomorrow to the Labor Department to see if we can find a job. And then um, we'll look around in there and get a few postcards and that. And if we can't get a job, we'll probably go in again on Thursday. <coughs> and uh, we're going to meet Annette and her mum in there. And then we'll probably go out to Annette's place stop at there Thursday night and if we still haven't heard about a job yet well then we on Friday we're going out up to um, Milford Sound Tiana up that way yeah Tiana Milford Sound up to Cascade where Annette used to work we'll go up there for the weekend and come back Monday possibly and then um, probably head off up to Dunedin so you never know we might be home sooner mm. than you think yeah, the job situation is pretty bad here at the moment because all the, there's just just no jobs anymore. The hotels, you know, for housemaids and things like that, they're even putting off their own staff because apparently there's just just not enough just not enough work for anyone. So we're finding it a bit hard. We're sort of scrimping and scraving, <laughs> which is change. Go past the kitchen where all the other people are cooking up their beautiful meals. I don't make it seem that bad. Oh well, it is. I'm starved. <laughs> It was good though. Oh yeah, we're losing some weight, which is good. Yeah, I will, I suppose. We'll see a bit later on. Yep. Toodles. Je ne 
General Varick, why did you leave me grounded? You'll have other opportunities to play the hero. Look! They're overtaking us! I've had my satisfaction. I made no error in calculus. The outsider should not have gone into orbit. Since it did, it's because there was a voluntary modification. You said voluntary? Uh, precisely. Cornfield? Put me in contact with the department bigwigs. The time has come to look them in the eye. Now, leave me alone. speak to you. It's about time I did. No one has ever prevented you. I want to be listened to then. It depends on what you say. It's very serious. Your days are numbered. Just a moment. I prefer that you speak before the United Commission. Gentlemen, you have exactly 840 hours left in which to act. In the meantime, the outsider will be tightening its orbit around the Earth. It will descend to a distance of 45,000 miles from the Earth's surface, and then... What proofs do you have? You'll find them written there. I take it for granted you know how to read. The formulas have just been photographed 
We will examine your hypothesis most attentively. This is no hypothesis. I tell you that the outsider, in tightening its orbit around the Earth, will provoke serious upsets in the balance of nature's elements, changes of climate and oreography in vast zones of the globe. You're concerned about the fate of the human race. You're wrong, my dear sir. I am not moved by humanitarian motives. Well then, Professor Benson? I want to know the truth. What truth? That's hidden inside the nucleus of the outsider. I'll make you a deal. Benson, you explain yourself back. Find yourself to the heart of the matter. Please tell us, Professor Benson. I have already determined that deep within the outsider there are conscious beings who come from another galaxy, fugitives perhaps, from a dying world. Then according to you, the outsider is a kind of survivor's raft. That's a colorful description, but it states the case. These space survivors are attracted to the Earth's life-giving warmth. Very well, then. I present you with the possibility of saving the human race. That is, to put it bluntly, I will save your lives for you. Yours. And yours. And yours. On one condition. That you give me the necessary means for studying and uncovering the outsider's secret. What means, Professor Benson? I ask to have the absolute command of all operations invested in my hands. along all of your wishes for a trip through Fantasy Week on the 330 movie. Tuesday, Yul Brynner takes you to Westworld, a resort where dreams become reality. Wednesday, witness the unbelievable with Stockard Channing and Girl Most Likely To. Friday, travel with Peter Sellers and friends when they invade New York City in the mouse that roared. And it all starts with Barbara Streisand. If this is what it's like to be a mother, I turn my <laughs> Begin Fantasy Week with Barbara Streisand in Up the Sandbox, Monday at 3.30 on Channel 7.
Are you ready for the girls? Are you ready for the guys? What has he got that we haven't got? Are you ready for hard bodies too? We're making movies on location. They're oversexed. Ali Ali Oxen Free. Overexposed. And overseas. Get ready to party again. Heart Bodies 2. Adventures in Paradise. Heart Bodies 2. Please rewind this cassette. You shall all die. Trapped on a strange landmass, they come from different times, but they're all in danger now. Use whatever means necessary. An unearthly swamp and an android colony with a human leader await on the fantastic journey. Roddy McDowell joins the fantastic journey Thursday at 8, 7 Central and Mountain Time.